Michaels can't reach it. Michaels going up again. Michaels now. Can he do it? Yes. No. No. He can't do it. He can't do it. Michaels now. Beside himself. Look at this. Can he do it this time? They're starting to move. And he got it. He got it. He got it. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to August of 1995 for Volume 1 of this month's show. Volume 2 is WCW looking at the Clash of the Champions. Volume 3 is a dual episode looking uh, at the uh, IWA Japan King of the Deathmatch final and also all your ECW action. And Volume 4 is a special look at the New Japan Pro Wrestling Collision in Korea show, which WCW do try and kind of clean on the back on. Uh, but here in Volume want to discuss uh, WWF, largely looking at SummerSlam. I'm being joined firstly by Jeff Parker. Jeff, hello. Hello. And Tom Martin. Hello, Bob. Uh, Jeff, kick us off with the news. All right. So uh, the big news of the week, or the month, is uh, Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon turn back the clock about 18 months with a show-stealing ladder match at SummerSlam this month. Uh, interestingly enough, the plan of the, at the beginning of the month of August was actually Sean, uh, it was calling for Sean to face Sid at the pay-per-view, but there were obviously many fears that the show might be low on in-ring for quality, um, which forced the change. Sean and Razor went, uh, over 25 minutes with Razor playing the heel for the better part of it, and Sean, Sean, pardon me, Sean sold his leg for most part of the match before retaining the belt in a great match. The other big story of the month concerns the man Sean defeated for the title in July, Jeff Jarrett. It's said that on July 30th, Jarrett and Vince McMahon had a two-hour phone conversation, which seemed to iron out most of their issues. But after McMahon misunderstood a joke made by Jarrett, who reportedly told him, OK, asshole, you'll know how I feel in the future. Things have broken down. It's said that the odds on Jarrett returning are less than 5%. As for the roadie... While it's not confirmed, there are numerous reports that he failed a drug test at the show and won't be returning. Otherwise, at SummerSlam, we saw Diesel defeat Mabel in the main event, Brett the Hitman Hart defeat Isaac Yankum DDS by disqualification, and Bertha Faye defeat Alundra Blaze in the women's world title match. Barry Horowitz continued his streak against Body Donna Skip, after a distraction from the newly babyfaced Hakushi, who defeated the 1-2-3 Kid in the opening match of the show. Elsewhere on the card, there were wins for Hunter Hearst Helmsley and the Smoking Guns. 
There were two major stories on WWF television this month. The first was the debut vignettes of Dustin Rhodes playing a character called Goldust, dressed entirely in gold with gold-coloured skin and dark makeup. His character is apparently meant to be a real-life version of an Oscar award. The second was the first time he will turn for the British Bulldog, who turned on Diesel during the main event of Raw on August the 21st. So there's some news on some WWF departures for you to know this week or this month. <laughs> Firstly, Adam Baum quit the company after a meeting with Vince McMahon. He was unhappy with the direction of his character and being asked to lose to an injured Henry Godwin in 30 seconds at a live event. Second, there are unconfirmed reports at this stage that Lex Luger gave in, gave in his notice at tapings this month. Also, Jim Ross is on his way out of the company yet again, apparently joking while doing commentary on syndicated shows that he was deemed, quote, too regional. The lawsuit of jobber Chuck Austin, who last year won $26.7 million in a case against the WWF, was settled quietly out of court this month. It's said that the eventual settlement came to $10 million, which will be paid by WWF's insurance company. It said that both the WWF and WCW will be more selective about which jobbers they use as a result. Raw will be off the air until September the 11th, preempted for two weeks. It said that there is no truth to the rumours that their 11th show will be headlined by Bret Hart against Shawn Michaels in what will be the first head-to-head show against WCW Monday Nitro. We start Raw on the 7th of August with the rematch of the tag title match between Yokozuna and Owen Hart against Razor Ramon and Savio Vega that was still going on when the last Raw went off the air. Yokozuna pinned Vega in this one. In the main event, Diesel pinned at Samo. Mabel came out to attack Diesel. Shawn Michaels followed, but Mabel ended up ramming Shawn into the ring post. On to August the 14th, we have Ted DiBiase on commentary, temporarily replacing Joe Lawler, because Lawler's having a match tonight. DiBiase says that Henry Goldwyn isn't a member of the corporation, he was merely cheap labour. Goldwyn came out after the break and got in DiBiase's face. DiBiase ended up on his knees, but Goldwyn still dumped a load of pig slop all over him. We then see the debut of Goldust, the character being played by Dustin Rhodes. Goldust sees Dustin essentially as a cross-dresser, wearing a long blonde wig and being coloured entirely in gold, including his skin. He essentially seems to be dressed as an Oscar award, underscored by his promo being the cut on the backdrop of a movie studio. He named drops Diesel. Dean Douglas balls us all to tears in another school report segment, giving Bret Hart an F grade for failing to hook the leg during a pinfall. In the main event, Shawn Michaels and Jerry Lauder finished after interference by Sid. Sid entered the ring with Michaels' intercontinental title belt and started attacking him. Sid went to chokeslam him, but Razor came out and stopped him before he and Michaels grabbed opposite ends of the belt. Razor yanked it away from Michaels and Diesel came out to play Peacemaker. On to August the 21st, Undertaker defeated Tatanka. Vince McMahon interviewed Diesel mid-ring, previewing his SummerSlam match. The British Bulldog came out and said that he needed a tag team partner tonight as Lex Luger wasn't there. During the match against Men on a Mission, Bulldog clotheslined Diesel, turning heel for the first time in his career. Backstage, Lawler interviewed Mabel, who had Diesel's WWF title, and Jim Cornette. Bulldog wasn't making any comment. 
And although it would have happened now to SummerSlam, there was no 28th edition, 28th of August edition of Monday Night Raw. Raw will turn on the 11th of September. We move on to SummerSlam. Jeff, kick us off with the results. All right. Well, SummerSlam 1995 started with Hakushi defeating the 1-2-3 Kid in a really hard-worked match. Uh, next up was Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the American Blue Blood, defeating Bob Sparkplug Holly. The Smoking Guns defeated the Blue Brothers, Jacob and Eli Blue, with Uncle Zebekiah. Barry Harwitz defeated Skip with Sonny after some interference by Hakushi. Bertha Fay with Harvey Whippleman, the trailer park queen, defeated Alundra Blaze for the Women's WWF Championship. The Undertaker defeated Kama with Ted DiBiase in a casket match. We then had Brett the Hitman Hart defeat Isaac Yankum, DDS, Jerry the King Lawler's personal dentist by disqualification. The highlight of the night, in my opinion, Shawn Michaels defeated Razor Ramon in a ladder match for the Intercontinental title. And then in the main event of the evening, Diesel, champion of the world, defeated King Mabel with Sir Mo in a singles match for the championship. Tom, what do you think of this show? Well, this was my first uh, foray, uh, strictly speaking, into, into re- reviewing WWF shows. And um, I, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Um, because having watched uh, some uh, and a mix a mixed bag of ECW and WCW stuff, I've heard various negative reports about WWF uh, programming this this year. Uh, well, the last couple of years, really. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was, I thought it was a decent show. Um, I just thought the the main event was the worst match of the night, and that's just a terrible, terrible booking move, um, in my opinion. But I, I think otherwise, it was a decent show. I actually enjoyed it. So yeah. I, 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 I was pleasantly surprised. Jeff? Uh, I 100% echo that response. I think that if you put Sean and Razor on last, this card maybe goes down in history as a, one of the best WWF cards of the 1990s. Um, I don't think anybody wants to pay to see Mabel, but everybody on the undercard worked really hard, and it showed, and I enjoyed 80% of this card. Yeah, there, there was an unusually high emphasis on, you know, kind of just work rate. I felt in the early kind of two thirds of this show, even a lot of the, yeah, you know, I think I think it's best summed up by the fact I think Barry Horowitz and Skip went about eleven or twelve minutes, um, and there were a lot of other matches like that that felt that they had a lot more room to breathe than they perhaps would have done otherwise. Um, really hot Pittsburgh crowd who were into almost everything. Um, again, that 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 probably stood out most in the Horowitz. Um, uh, uh, and skip match, um, but yeah, as 
you know, we, we had Sean and Razor last year at WrestleMania tear the house down with a ladder match. This wasn't quite as good as that, but in many ways it was, you know, significantly different to the point where it was almost as noteworthy. Um, and yeah, we just, yeah, no, nothing could have followed that match, I don't think. I think we had that problem last year with, uh, with Brett and Yokozuna after, at WrestleMania 10. Um, but yeah, a real downer, uh, uh, and another, you know, kind of drab main event for Diesel, but we'll, we'll come to that really, I think, um, as we get to it. Uh, we start the show with Dean Douglas, who says he will be conducting summer school in Pittsburgh. We open up with the 1-2-3 Kid versus Hakushi. We start with an exchange of headlocks into an arm submission. Kid does an arm drag, which gets an appreciable response from the crowd. Vincent Mann manages to call it Summer Slime, while Kid reverses a powerbomb into an arm drag. Hakushi then hits a backbreaker. Hakushi hits a back elbow in the corner, and the crowd start to get behind him. Hakushi hits a body slam, then there's a Vader bomb on the second rope. Hakushi hits a back body drop, then super kicks Kid to the outside before hitting a handspring cartwheel into a standing moonsault tope from the ring to the outside. The crowd sound its appreciation. Hakushi goes to the top, hits a nice splash, but Kid rolls out the way. Kid knocks Hakushi to the outside, then hits a crossbody over the top rope. Kid goes to the top rope, hits a frog splash, but only gets a two. Goes for a running sidekick, but Hakushi catches him into a one-handed powerbomb and picks up the win. Jeff? I thought it was just a great... Uh, stylistic matchup to start off this, this, you know, your second biggest show of the year in SummerSlam. And I thought it was a really good overall match. The, the word I kept saying was Super J Cup style. Um, really fluid, really fast paced, really good workers in this match. Um, strong finish even. I felt that they, it was a really prototypical new generation match. Um, my one asterisk would be that Hakushi's presentation is just a whisker away from being a really cool badass baby face, uh, kind of Mortal Kombat type video game character with all of the flips and the dives and uh, as they kind of foreshadow later in the show. But I just, I really enjoyed this match. It was Smash Mouth. It was good. It was fast paced. Um, I can't, I can't say they couldn't have booked a better match to open the show. Tom. I enjoyed the match. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't perhaps give it quite the, gl- the glowing review that Jeff did there. That's not, that's not to say I didn't think it was good. I thought it had a number of, uh, impressive spots within it. Um, and, uh, I think both guys, you know, worked hard. I, 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 my, my main concern with it was that I didn't necessarily, uh, agree with the, the result. I, th- I, th- I think that to start the show, um, and, and to keep people happy, I just think a one, two, three kid, kid win would have made a bit more sense, but, um, if they're trying to push uh, Hakushi and that character, it does make sense. So that's a minor, minor gripe of mine. But I thought, I thought it was a, a very solid match. There was a, a really impressive moonsault from uh, Hakushi to, to the outside. Um, you know, Kid's frog splash was, was good. Uh, I, I think the two, the two guys are both technically very sound. Um, and as just Jeff said, it was, a, it, it was a decent pace. It was a nice opener. It was a solid match. I, think, I thought it was good. Yeah, I know what you mean about the one, two, three Kid winning. I think, you know, that there is a logic that says that if you're going to turn a guy like Hakushi Babyface, you can keep him quite strong, even in a losing effort, if he's kind of valiant and, you know, shows some Babyface traits. Um, but that being said, you know, I think, Tommy, you probably touched on it, the fact that, you know, he he's a priority and the one two three kid probably isn't, which is which is why they went down this road. Um, but, yeah, I had a lot of time for this match. Um, what, I, what I quite admired about it was that, that this is the kind of match that, on another show might have been a lot faster and I don't think this match needs to be any quicker. It's not to say that, you know, 
there were, were too many high spots or weren't enough. I think it was just more that I liked the fact that they managed to slow the match down in the middle otherwise. Um, and you've got two guys of similar size that had a competitive match. And Jeff's right, it was a very good finish. Um, kid goes for kind of the, the, the sidekick and Akushi just kind of jumps up, grabs him with one arm and power bombs him. Um, a really good finish. Jeff, you touched on it, but, but, but thoughts on Hakushi as a baby face? I think for a guy his size, that's really the only logical option. I think that if you look at WCW over the past few years, you have Muda. Okay, I'm not comparing Hikushi to Muda because Muda's a a once in a lifetime dude. But I don't think the WWF has ever had a guy and an, an Asian babyface who does all of these awesome moves. Who has that? I mean, you have you have the commentators talking about karate and, and martial arts. He's not a martial artist, but he has that really cool you know vibe to him. If you book him properly, he's Mortal Kombat. I mean, he does the he does the power bombs and the and the Asai moonsaults and all these things. I think there's potential to go with him in a similar sense that uh, you know if 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 Shawn Michaels isn't isn't long for this intercontinental title world, that's a babyface I'd want to root for. But uh, you know, I, I have a Japanese bias. <laughs> Tom, same question. Yeah, I, th- I think it could work. I definitely think it could work. I think he he, ne- he would certainly need a mouthpiece uh, in order to engage properly with the fans. But it doesn't take a lot. I, I think Jeff's right when you say he's just a, just a, a whisker away from being uh, instantly presentable as a babyface. So I don't even think it would take that much work. Um, but I'm not sure how far they could go with it either. Uh, I don't I don't necessarily think it, the character would necessarily appeal to as big of a a portion of the fan base if they if they were you know if they really wanted to get behind it but i think it could work yeah so i i would i would support it doc Hendricks is outside going all hyper interviewing king mabel mabel says diesel is making a mistake if he thinks that bulldog turning on him was the big master plan and we move on to hunter hurst helmsley versus bob spark plug holly helmsley takes off his shirt which gets some audible cheers from some of the females in the audience Helsley twice refuses to lock up, so Holly just body slams him before hitting an arm track. Helsley begs off in the corner before poking Holly in the eye behind the referee's back. Hunter whips Holly across the ring, who smashes into the far, far, far turnbuckle, which makes some noise. Hunter curtsies to the crowd, which pops them. We get a picture-in-picture of the British Bulldog arriving at the arena. He's wearing sunglasses and offers no comment. After an abdominal stretch, Hunter dumps Holly over the top rope. Hunter whips Holly off the ropes. Holly catches him and hits a DDT. Holly then hits a drop kick to even things up, then fires up with a back body drop. Holly then runs into Hunter, who hits a dull underhook face first pile driver, which they're calling the pedigree. Tom? Well, first things first, I think the pedigree is a fantastic move. And I think uh, the, the character is fine. I, 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 get, I, don't, I don't necessarily see if he can, how much he can do with it. And how, I mean, he, he's obnoxious, yes. He's pompous, yes. Um, but he, he'll need a bit more depth, I think, to, in order to, to, you know, moving forward. But it was a decent match. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I, th- I thought that, again, both guys really worked hard here. Um, there was a couple of really nasty, uh, spots like that. The, the, actually, this is, this is another thing I picked up from watching WWF in comparison to other stuff I've watched is the sound when, when they work each other into the turnbuckles is, is amazing. I don't know if you guys have touched on this before, but it makes a real cracking sound. Um, and there was one spot where, where, um, Bob Holly was thrown into the corner. It sounded like his back could have broken from the noise. Um, and I just thought that was really, that really came across well. 
Um, it was a, de- it was a really decent match, and again, I, I agree with the outcome. I think, I think, there, I think there is legs and there's talent in uh, in Hunter Stelmsley. I just, um, uh, I'll be interested to see how it how it plays out because uh, I think it could run out of uh, intrigue uh, quite quickly. But um, I've got he, the guy's talented. Jeff, uh, it was a good match. I mean, I thought both looked slightly a step off uh, at various parts of this match. It had this feel, and this isn't a derogatory, but it had a feel of like a strong Saturday night's main event for WCW. Like, which basically, if you consider, uh, you know, what the match was intended to do, which was to get Helmsley over, that's what they did. Uh, both guys worked hard with the big picture. I don't know how much consequence it was. I, I have a note here that kind of, uh, should, you know, uh, personify what the match entailed. God damn, Bob Hawley takes one hell of a whip into the corner. Um, <laughs> he really does. Because I, I, I was just like, ah, oh, I just cringed when I saw that. And, and I think the pedigree finish, as a finish, is really getting over. Uh, when he grabbed that double underhook to begin with, the fans were conditioned to know what was coming up, and I think that's a really good sign. Um, I Again, I don't know how the Blue Blood character, how far I can go, but as far as a match goes, I, I, I would... If, if, if I, if that was ever on TV as a TV match, I would watch it. So I think they succeeded. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of go back to the first time we saw, um, Jean-Paul Levesque on, uh, on WCW pay-per-view. Well, the only time we saw him, uh, at Starcade last year. I remember the takeaway from that. I mean, he faced Alex Wright in that match and Wright's no slouch either in the ring. Uh, the takeaway from that match was, well, you know, it's not, wasn't the greatest in-ring match. That one had a bit longer, I think, time-wise than this did. But the feeling was that, you know, Levesque's control of a crowd for a guy of his experience was very good. And I kind of got the same feeling here. Jeff, have you, have you seen that, that Levesque right match? Oh, yeah. What, what, is, is there any... Uh, do, do you agree with that comparison well, in terms of this, that there's I a think, kind of pattern here? I think, I think my criticism... Because I think if you everything you like, you should criticise. Because that's kind of my... Break it down, like it, and then say, well, I hate it because. We're, we're um, getting that impression having had you on this show a few times now. Yeah, sorry <laughs> about that. It's that Canadian <laughs> thing. Uh, uh, you know, I think if you had to work Alex Wright at Starcade, I think maybe you might be a, not the most highlighted athlete on the card. Um, I, and to say that, uh, whatever you want to call him, Jean-Paul Levesque or Hunter Hurst Helmsley, I think he's got potential to really be a workhorse and it showed in that match and again but that just shows WCW not able to realize a prospect uh, well you could have got Paul Roma did and just you know beat him up for 15 minutes hey I think Paul Roma is a hell of an athlete and we've talked about that before <laughs> go back to February if you want to hear, hear Jeff and me and uh, I think it was Kira discussed that for about 20 minutes but yeah carry on Jeff <laughs> anything more I just I I think that they have I think they have a really snobby heel and and the one thing I'll say is through the card I I saw two great heels I saw I saw Hunter Selmsley because he's he's the snob I mean if you watch Caddyshack and I don't know if if in the UK Caddyshack's a big movie I've no idea what you're talking about Tom Tom I, I've seen <laughs> it I've seen it yeah. right it, it it it's a golf movie it's Bill Murray and and uh, Chevy Chase it's the snobs versus the slobs. And you basically want to see the the hoity-toity high-class guys get it, okay? I think there's there's business to be made in a heel snob to get his ass kicked. 
Now, whether that's the Undertaker, whoever's going to do it, there's business there. The other heel I thought was Shawn Michaels. And, and and as handsome as everything is, he plays a stripper. And if I went to school the next day, I wouldn't want to wear his T-shirt. So when I watch those two guys, I see very similar things in a sense that uh, they're handsome, they're well-groomed, they're shredded to, you know, six-packs, eight-packs, whatever. But I'm not so sure I, I ever want to see them uh, and cheer and clap and pay for a ticket to see them win. Now, to lose, that's a different thing. And I think I think Vince has some opportunities here. We cut to a tug of war with the WWS, Mabel, Henry Godwin, Savio Vega and Bam Bam Bigelow taking on members of the Pittsburgh Fire Department over the river. The WWF team won and the firefighters had to take a dip into the river. Now we move on to a tag team match. It's the Blue Brothers, Jacob and Eli, with Uncle Zebekiah versus the Smoking Guns, Billy and Bart. Vincent Man still hasn't worked out a way of telling Jacob and Eli Blue apart. So I'm largely guessing here as to which Blue is is in the ring at the same time, but hopefully it makes sense. Uh, Eli hits a body slam and drops a pair of elbows on Billy. Jacob tags in and kicks out of a two after a roll-up. Billy hits a leg drop. With the referee's back turn, Eli snaps Bart's neck off the ropes. We get a neat, neat kick and neck breaker combo on Eli. The Blues then hit a double team slam. Jacob will say is in the ring. He and Eli attack Billy in the corner. Eli hits a body slam, then a big knee drop on Billy. Eli hits a big power slam. Billy almost misses his kick out, which the referee has to pull out of. The announcers comment on the officiating. Billy manages to hit a face buster of sorts and tags in Bart. Bart body slams both twins before one of them will say Eli nails him with a big boot. Bart picks up Eli, but he leaps from the top. They do a double team slam and leg drop. The guns win the match. Jeff. Uh, I have to kind of preface with my bias towards being a huge Smoking Guns fan. Both are such impressive athletes. Um, they've got great looks, and specifically Billy Gunn as a blonde-haired guy. I think as a heel, if you gave him, say, James E. Cornette, who I have a bias towards, I think there's money there. I just think a guy that size with that vertical leap, he's a hell of an athlete. The cowboy gimmick is what it is. I don't think it really works in that northeast specific WWF. Like when when I go to shows, we don't know cowboys. We're Toronto, right? But there's something there. Both Bart and Billy, like the moves are cool. I, I enjoyed this match. I knew what it was. It wasn't going to be, you know, a Meltzer five star, and I was fine with that. Tom. Yeah, I thought it was a decent match as well. I, I, I don't, uh, I don't think it necessarily belong, uh, belonged to be on the SummerSlam card. I think it probably could have been on any weekly Raw uh, episode or any other pay per view because it had no backstory and it had no uh, signs of progression or that the story was going to continue once the match had finished. But it was fine, and I, and I do have a whole load of praise for um, for the Smoking Guns and particularly Billy. I thought he, I thought he shined here. I thought he was um, very impressive. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it was, it was fine. In terms of a tag match, they, they worked it well. Um, it had a decent flow, wasn't too long, but as, as I say, I just thought it felt, it felt a bit pointless. So it could, it could have been, if it wasn't on the show, nobody would, nobody would have cared. But as it was on the show, it was a decent match and everyone enjoyed watching it. So, you know, fine. Tom, do you share Jeff's, uh, sentiment on the smoking guns? Not quite. No, I mean, <laughs> I, not quite. I'm, to so, I'm of... sorry, I'm, uh, 
when I like somebody, I like them pretty hard. So I was going to say, we haven't got to Bret Hart yet. Carry on, Tom. Uh, well, when we get to Bret Hart, I'll, I'll be as bad as Jeff, so don't worry about that. Right. But, I don't think I, so. <laughs> all right, well, let, let, all right, let's not let's not have a challenge of geekdom. But anyway, so I, I think that um, uh, it, it, they're a decent tag team. The, the guys can work, and that's the, always the main thing for me. Um, and the characters, yes, they're cowboys, but they're not coming in on horseback and swinging swinging lassoes around and really. I've got a feeling that's budgetary. I got a feeling if they could afford yep. that, they'd be doing just that. But yep. yeah, but all the time they're not. I can deal with it. So the, 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 the guys, the guys can go. They can work. It was, it was, it was a solid match. You know, no, no issues. Yeah, I mean, to answer the first question, I, I, I well, what first question you really ask any? I think what are your points? I think they should have made this a number one contendership match. Uh, I think they've got something funky planned in your house three regarding the tag titles. Um, so it didn't wouldn't necessarily be for the next pay per view. Um, but I think that match would that stipulation would have given this match some context and some. Yeah, reason for being. Uh, as for the smoking guns, I, you know, I, I think Jeff's half right in that the two guys playing those wrestlers, I think, are quite impressive. Well, this character, sorry. Um, but I don't think this gimmick is going to go anywhere fast. Um, and equally, as much as you say Jeff Billy Gunn would work well with Jim Cornette, I get the feeling a lot of guys would work pretty well with with uh, with Jim Cornette. Um, the, best, that, the best heel manager in the business, baby. Well, there's that. There's that. Uh, as for the match itself, yeah, it was good. Um, you know, Tom, I think you're right when you said this 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 had a kind of a stench of a, a, a raw main event on a quiet week. But, you know, I think that's what this point in the card probably called for. Um, and when you think about the alternatives, because, you know, th- this is, wasn't a show that necessarily stuck out as, oh, there were half a dozen guys that should have been on the show that weren't. Um, I thought this was fine. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I'm not quite sure why they haven't got smoking guns into the tag title picture, because otherwise you wonder what they're doing there. Um, but in, in terms of the current WWF tag team roster, you, 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 you certainly would say they were one of the more impressive teams. Uh, we get a video package uh, chronicling the backstory behind the Barry Horowitz and Skip feud. Horowitz ended a career of losses by shocking Skip by roll-up on Superstars. A couple of weeks later, he lasted a allotted 10 minutes in the rematch against Skip, which was a challenge, and that brings us to this match. Skip versus... Skip, sorry, with Sonny versus Barry Horowitz. Horowitz sprints straight to the ring and attacks Skip, hitting him with a big knee. He then sends him to the outside. Horowitz rolls up Skip but gets sent to the outside. He stays on the apron and hits a standing suplex, sending Skip tumbling to the outside. Sonny, presumably thinking this is a WCW match, remonstrates with referee Earl Hebner. Hebner tells her to leave, but she doesn't. Sonny trips Barry with the referee's back turned. The crowd then start a Barry chant. Completely out of nowhere, Vincent Man correctly calls a gut wrench suplex. The heels are completely in control. Skip misses an elbow drop. Horowitz attempts to seize the advantage but isn't able to. Barry hits a Thez press but Skip responds with a powerbomb. Skip does some star jumps or Jeff, I think you'd call them jumping jacks. Would that be correct? Jumping jacks, yeah. Thanks That's for the one. high school in Canada. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought I'd translate that. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't knowingly call them jumping jacks without at least putting the English version in. Uh, both, both go for a drop kick. Skip climbs to the top but Barry hits a drop kick. Skip lands on the turnbuckle, manages to knock him off. Skip hits a diving headbutt from the second rope, but pulls out of the pin at two. Skip goes for a pile driver, but Barry reverses it into a backdrop. We're back on the turnbuckle. 
Skip hits a superplex. We turn to the R-way and here's Hakushi. Hakushi jumps on the ropes, vaults over Skip. Off the distraction, Holrich rolls up Skip for the three. The crowd respond with a sizable pop. Tom? This was a good match. I, I, I um, appreciated the backstory going into it. Um, uh, I think Barry Horowitz is, is, must be li- licking his chops at uh, this opportunity, bearing in mind he has literally been laying flat on his back for, uh, ever since well, ever since he joined the company, really. Um, and I think that uh, the, the two dynamics of the guys and the way they worked worked really well. You really did get the impression that Horowitz was going, you know, hell for leather in this and, and thinking this is his only chance at, at success. So I, I bought into the, the story completely. Um, and I thought it was, a, I thought it was a good match, although it didn't, there was nothing hugely impressive in it. Um, the, the, the crowd were really, really into the match and you touched on that earlier, Bob, but that's, 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 that's the job done really in terms of, um, just to hold a decent match and get the crowd to be invested in it. And they were. Um, and I thought the finish was clever. When, when, when Hakushi turned up, I did think as he, as he missed his cue, as, 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 as he fallen asleep and thought he's on again. But then actually when, when it, when it was played out, I thought it actually worked really well with, with, with the finish. Um, cause they repeated what had been done before really. But in a slightly different way, um, it, it was really good. I, I, I find Sunny incredibly nice to look at, but also incredibly annoying to the point where she bangs on the on the mat just repeatedly. And I know she's meant to be annoying because they're a heel uh, pairing, but she was really getting on my nerves in this. And I was just thinking, I wish someone would just 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 take her hands away or just I don't know, just get her out get her out of the way. But otherwise, no, good match. I enjoyed it. What an odd instruction! You wish someone would take her hands away. What's I don't mean, a... I don't mean physically. I, I don't oh, I see. You know, like we're not we're not we're not talking about chopping them off. I mean oh. just so that they she can't bang them on the ring. I'm oh, not suggesting that she gets tied up either because that would be going into weird territory. No, no, let's not go any further, Jeff. Well, as a cornet disciple, as I, I guess I just have to expose myself as uh, Sunny or Tamara or Tammy or whatever you want to call her. She might be the best heel manager next to James E. Cornette. They have. Hang on, hang on. Are, we, are we overlooking Sherry Martell right here? I think we are. I, I think Sherry Martell knows her spot, but I think she needs to be directed. I think I think T- Tamara or Sonny or whatever you want to call her. I think there's a natural, narcissistic, egotistical. I'm hotter than you. Cross between Missy Hyatt and Bobby Heenan. Okay, I I think she's tremendous. I watch her and I think, you know what, she's a really pretty lady and I'd, I'd like to take her at dinner. But you know what, I don't think I'd call her back again for a second date. She seems like a... <laughs> well, when you find out she's got no hands, you're probably not... Oh. Well, you know, Bob, that's never been a problem for me. I don't really... All right, all right, I've got higher standards than you. Okay. <laughs> Limbs well, not I... essential. No. Towards the match, you fellas. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a good, uh, good solid match. The crowd seemed relatively hot, uh, for it. And, and I think that after years of watching all of these squash matches where you see, you know, your great Bob Cooks, and he's, he's a, he's a heck of an enhancement talent, or, uh, you know, George South, or these guys that actually, had they be given the opportunity, could be something because they're great hands. And you use the word mechanic or carpenter or, I mean, straight up, good hands. Um, I think you see Barry Horowitz getting this opportunity that none of them ever had before. And what if the guy that was there to be the sacrificial lamb actually showed up? And I, I find this this entire um, angle breaking the mold and it, it's fun maybe it's a little similar to one two three kid and razor but for me i had fun with it uh horowitz of course i mean 
for those who don't know, has been around the territories forever, specifically Florida, where he was trained by Boris Malenko, uh, Jody and Dean's dad, uh, the great Malenko. And, and, and if you go back through history, you'll find a lot on him. Um, and for all of that, if you want to look at an enhancement talent, I'd say Barry Horowitz is, is one of your guys you want to, you know, really work with. I think if you're a guy like, let's say, Adam Baum, I say, please give me Barry Horowitz. Cause he's gonna give me a great match. And this match with another, you know, really talented worker, it shows. It was good. I enjoyed it. Um, for what it was on the card, uh, probably one of the most entertaining parts of the show. Wow, that was a lot of positivity to take in. I was not expecting all of that. Um, yeah, it's, no, I, it's my Canadian, Bob. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I mean, I, I quite like this, but I'm about, like, 15 yards inside the circle than you are in terms of how, how good this was. Um, to, to answer the initial point, uh, Jeff, I think you're vastly overstretching comparing Sonny to Sherry Martell. Let's, let's, so, Bob, how well, am I comparing a lady that, I mean, if you watch Smoky Mountain, you can see her dealing with, with like, like Boo Bradley and someone who, who is, has a mental handicap. And she will exploit him. She has a sinister uh, uh, personality that Sherry Martell couldn't come close to. There is I, a. Uh, I, I, I'll I, say no. this, Bob. I'll say this: if you're oh. if you're at the pub, as you say in the United Kingdom, thank you. That, that's a bar for those of you on the other side of the pond. <laughs> if you see Sherry Martell, and then you see Sunny. Whose beer do you buy, or who's you well, know? That, that, but that's, that's, that's not that's, that's, that's not that's, that's, that's not the question here. The question that's, isn't that's who's hotter. Thing. The question is who's the more effective manager. She's not just evil. She's a perfect ten, and from that perfect ten, she has that extra. I think she has the better psychology than Sherry Martell. I mean, I'll go to the mat on on Sunny. I think she with the right. We know. We know. <laughs> well. Actually, Bob, I'm a beautiful I'm, choice of words. I'm spoken for, and I think this is a in poor taste for all of us listeners to think that I would denigrate myself with. Such I'm a just saying, you said the phrase, "I would go to the mat on Sunday." No, no, I, he, said, he said, "Take her to the mat." Take her to the mat. Okay. I think the origins of the mat would be the mafiosos. I'm the criminologist, Bob. There's a there's a there's a dispute here. I might have to take an Atlantic flight soon. Okay. To, to clear this up. All right. <laughs> like, like I, I, I'm not going to undercut that Sonny is firstly incredibly attractive. That that is undeniable, and secondly, very good in the role she plays. But I think you're, I think you're overstretching it, saying she's anywhere near as good as Sherry Martel. But you've seen more of her than me. Fair enough. Um, but Sherry Martel has a body of work over enough of a period of time where I think we can say that at the moment at least she's she's far out in front um but we will well, i guess we can we can we can kind of let that see over time how that plays out uh coming back to the match itself um yeah i i agreed i think with one of the final things i think uh one of you said uh might have been tom um was that other than the, the ladder match this was probably the most significant match on the show um not necessary to say it was the second best match but i think more just that this should have got a far worse reaction than it did from the crowd. Um, and, and this might have died a death in, in another, in a quieter area. But the crowd were into Horowitz. You know, they were chanting Barry, a guy who's won two matches. 
Um, there was plenty of heat on Skip. Sonny was in her element, and I agree with Tom that, you know, as effective as she is, they are kind of, I think, overdoing the let's cut to her at ringside during the match. They did do that yeah. a lot, and they had a lot yeah. of time to do that. Um, but no, good match, and, you know, um, I, I, I don't know. Jeff, what do you think about the finish? I kind of thought it was a bit convoluted, and I, I think Tom may mention that it kind of felt like Hokushi might have missed this spot. I don't know if he did, but it, it didn't feel as smooth to me, Jeff, as it could have done. No, it looked a little hinky, but if you can vertically leap over two people, I think I think you're good. Um, and if this leads to a Hakushi face turn, I'll, I mean, I'm buying my ticket right now. Um Back to the Sherry Martell Sunny thing, I, I I think the main argument and the crux to the argument is imagine if Sonny got to work with Randy Savage and Ted DiBiase. And in years and, and you're right, in the coming years we'll be able to see. But Skip as an opening match heel, she's been able to get people to kind of have this vitriol for her. Realistically, she should be this sex symbol. And people boo her. And I think that's an accomplishment. I think she's the star of this match. I think Horowitz, I mean, in all due respect to him as a worker, I think, you know, in the program package, he has these huge these huge uh, reading glasses on. He looks like a, a geek, you know, a nerd. I, I don't know if I want to cheer for him, but yet we want the underdog, the Rudy, to win. And I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I walked away from this match saying, do I want to see more of Barry Horowitz? Maybe. I think Skip is a hell of a worker, but if Hakushi can be a face, and maybe we see some Hakushi and Skip matches, I'm all for that. Uh, Tom, any more for anything else on this? Uh, no, I, I, I kept quiet throughout the uh, the Sherry Sunny conversation, but I, well, I, I think. I, 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 I won't bring it back. Sorry up. for I, that. <laughs> no, that's that's all right. You know, we all have our opinions, mate. It's fine. Uh, I, I think it's, um, I think that, um, that that was beautiful use of the word mate there that implied you just completely disagreed. I don't no, understand mate, what mate, the mate, mate a, means. I mate think that's is a friendly problem. term. No, no, mate is a friendly term, Bob. You're you're okay. you're, you've got an, an eye of cynicism there. The, the, I but, thought that was being used sarcastically. That's all I was saying. Uh, you, well, you might be right. But anyway, well, anyway <laughs> let, let's let's stick to, to, the, to, the, to the talking point. I think that um, the, the Barry Horowitz thing, it can only go so far. I think they could maybe push it to the point where he gets uh, a title match and loses, because I don't think he should win it because he's not talented, talented enough for that. But everyone loves the underdog. They can stretch it out probably to the next pay-per-view. And I was thinking actually at the next In Your House or whenever, they could give him that title match. And people would really, really root for him, but what, I don't think Diesel. Not, not that title. I oh, mean, what, for the Sean. Well, put, no, no. Okay, fine. I'm, I'm talking hypothetically, here, like you know, theoretically. Let's not, let's not think that actually anyone wants to see Barry Horowitz beat Shawn Michaels because no one's really going to get behind that, are they? Uh, my, my point is that's what they could do with it. I just don't know if they will because I don't think he's actually got the legs. Um, so I think it's going to die a death pretty soon. But it's working really well and the crowds are all buying into it. So I think well, it's a good angle. Tommy, I know you jumped in quite late on the ECW stuff, but I mean there is a little, you know, not not that Mikey Whipwreck or you know Barry Horowitz are the only two underdogs that have ever existed in wrestling. But it does kind of feel like a little bit of a comparison there. And as yeah. you've seen, Mikey Whipwreck this month, admittedly on a much smaller scale against. Sam Mann, who's, you know, well, it, it, there is there is some comparison made with Diesel. Mikey Whitwreck is in that spot. Like, you know, maybe eventually, but yeah, I think you, you could tell a story on a much smaller scale. 
Um, but I think the logical thing to do at the next in your house show would just be to rematch these two. Um, but then equally, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's difficult. I don't uh. know whether they've got the patience with Horowitz. But you know, as a one and done thing, I, I think he he passed the test. But um, I think we should probably move on. Uh, we joined Dean Douglas. Uh, he's at his board. He has the word Vivify written on it. Uh, Douglas analyzes the finish of the prime match. There's a little bit more of the Douglas you probably would have heard in ECW in, in these promos. He's dialed it up a few percent. It's still Shane Douglas playing a teacher, but I now at least recognize Shane Douglas, so there is something. Uh, we cut to Todd Pettengill, who's gelled up his hair. We cut back to uh, Razor and Sean from WrestleMania 10. We're backstage with Sean. He says it's impossible to prepare for a match like this. And Sean says he has nothing in life but the Intercontinental Championship. We move on to Bertha Fay with Harvey Whippleman versus Alundra Blaze, the WWF Women's title. Blaze trips Fay with a leg sweep. Blaze follows that with some weak-looking kicks. Fay hits a body slam, then a pair of leg drops. Faye hits a body slam in the corner, then there's a splash for the second rope, but Blaze moves out of the way. Blaze climbs to the top and hits a victory roll for a two count. Blaze bridges out of a pin, then hits a trio of slams and goes for a pin. Harvey Whippleman distracts the ref, so Alundra goes after him. She attempts a crucifix pin, but cannot get the three. Blaze hits a nice hurricane runner, then a drop kick from the second rope, then a second. She attempts a third, but Faye is equal to it and moves out of the way. Faye hits a power bomb, and despite Blaze appearing to kick out three, we have a new women's champion. Jeff. Hated the finish. However, what, what, what part of the finish? Well, the kick out. If you're going to beat somebody, beat somebody. Okay? As far as I'm concerned, if you get power bombed and you're going to kick out, it's a cop-out finish. I just, I, I think, I mean, if you're going to do a return match, maybe. I, I think the whole trailer park queen gimmick is is kind of a, I don't know, it's in poor taste. I don't know if a poor taste is even the right word. It just feels kind of sloppy, especially when you come from, if you go from Bulmacana to Bertha Fay, that's a big drop-off. And I think that's kind of indicative of the women's division. Now, it was a short match. I, 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 I like to, I just, I don't like to see the shoulder kicked up at three. It's just, it's a personal pet peeve unless they're going somewhere. And I highly doubt that with all the talent they have, Bertha and Blaze is their apex interest. However, both of these ladies have extensive all Japan women's experience. So they're trained. They know what they're doing. And if you watch the match, they don't botch anything. They're, you know, they're doing realistic work. The problem is, is that they're being booked in a comedy match, and in in response, it feels like a concession stand break. Um, I, I mean, I think that the roster is so shallow for women's wrestling right now. Unless you want to really bring in all of the ladies from Japan, you're going to have this kind of ho-hum response I thought of, of all the matches on this car, this kind of got the least reaction. Heel wins. Whippleman is kind of an ineffective manager. Uh, no, I, no, he's I, worse than Sonny. Well, I mean, he's he's less attractive. Bob. Well, there's that as well. Well, I mean, well, to each his own, Bob. I mean, well, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, I just thought this match lacked fire. I, uh, I like, I think, I think Rhonda Singh, aka Bertha Fay, when she worked Japan, she's a fellow Canadian, so I'm gonna be biased. Alright? Well, well she, we get that, Jeff, you're Canadian, you're biased. I think, well, I think we'll, we'll take that as a given from, from well, that I, I, think, I think the bias has to be noted that 
all Canadian wrestlers are better. So okay. <laughs> we have to be careful there. The bias is, is, is rooted in, in fact. Uh, but she's trained. I mean, she's, she comes across as this slob and, and, and Vincent, I don't know if this was still Jerry Lawler. They're, they were mean to the heel and they were kind of knocking the heel as being this blubbery, you know, I, it felt tasteless, uh, pass, bring back, you know, Bull Nakano or, or just treat Alundra Plays as the champion and have her be Bruno and beat nobody's. Well, this stop. Tom. I didn't enjoy this match, uh, at all, really. I, uh, I, I, I must admit, I don't, uh, have the, the background knowledge of, of Bertha Fay's, um, work in Japan to fall back on. But I thought she came across as slow. Uh, obviously, she's you know she's a, she's a larger lady, so she's not going to have pace. But that, even, that ring gear, Tom, really kills it, doesn't it? It, it just she she comes across as a clown, a clown. Like there's nothing I thought in seeing the match and seeing how she was presented and the commentary, etc., that would have led me to uh, believe if someone had told me that she was going to win the title. I thought it was preposterous. I, th- I I couldn't understand the booking of that of, of that decision. I think Alundra Blaze is, is she's she's talented, and I'm not doubting that, that Bertha Fay has talent. But in this match, she she didn't show me anything to to to, to lead me to believe that she is as talented or more talented than Alundra. Therefore, why give her the belt? Um, and the presentation of how they're they're trying to uh, let let fans what how fans are hearing about her. It's shocking. Like, like, it's like what Jeff was saying. They're basically saying she's horrible to look at and she can't do anything. But here you go. Here's the belt. So there you go. You, you don't really dislike her because she's not a great heel. Uh, and you're not going to cheer her because they, they tell you not to, basically. So why give it to her? I just I, I didn't get it. Um, no, and, and although I did laugh when I saw the um, – and this was nasty of me to laugh. But I did laugh that someone in the, si- in the crowd was holding a sign saying Bertha Fat because it's just so creative. Um, I don't know how they came up with that. Um, no sarcasm at all. But anyway, I didn't enjoy the match. No, I know what you mean. That this is the kind of match where I didn't particularly enjoy it. Even if I can't tell you, there were many things wrong with it. Um, as I mentioned to you, Tom, I think there's a a presentation issue with Bertha Fay. They put her with Harvey Whippleman, who, um, as as we kind of alluded with Jeff earlier, is isn't particularly a particularly effective manager. Um, and doesn't particularly have any credibility in the way that kind of a cornet or a, you know someone like that would would, would carry. Um, and they dress her in this kind of very kind of Jeff comedic ring gear. Would that be the best way of describing it? I think it would be uh, exemplary of a heavy set lady. I yeah. Think it would be, I think I think the trailer park queen and the trailer trash kind of idioms apply to her. I think that's what they want. They want a little skinny guy and a and a and a very um Rubenesque lady. Well said. I think it's a very I I, I won't say the word exploitative because I think all of pro wrestling is exploitative. But I, I just think they I mean, let's put it like this. She's not wearing leather pants and a cool shirt to make her look like a badass. So they're getting what they're getting out of her, and it's it's obvious. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And yeah, the, the, the match was fine. And, and Jeff, I think you touched it earlier as well. Yeah, they're they're both clearly very good as performers in terms of just they're well trained. The 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 moves. The, there's nothing wrong with the match itself, but I think it, it's telling that this match in front of this crowd played out with such a lack of heat. 
Um, and yeah, the, the, the finish was a bit of a cop-out. Blaze kind of kicked out at three. But what I found more strange was that she kicked out at three and yet nobody really seemed to mention it. I don't know whether they're going to bring that up in the future, but I don't know why the announcers weren't on top of that. If that was the story you wanted to tell getting out of it, I don't even recall that um, Jim Ross attempted to get some comments from, from, from Faye after the match when she didn't really speak. Um, but there wasn't really any mention of, oh, you know, didn't you know she kicked out at three? Um, it wasn't like the um, the bit earlier where there was kind of crashes over the referee, the officiating. Sorry. Um, so, I if it was Bob, I wondered if it was a botch actually when I saw it. Me too. Yeah, I just it, it, when they don't mention it, you off, you're led to think, okay, that wasn't meant to happen. And they. But, but what was meant to happen though? What just was? was do you think what Faye won the title by accident? No, no, I think I think I think Alundra was meant to play flat, and I think uh, the, the only thing I can possibly think of is that there might be some backstage politics going on, and Alundra didn't like the fact she was losing the belt, so she did that to sort of rub uh, Bertha up the, the wrong the wrong way because she was getting the win, but she wasn't happy with it. But otherwise, I think it was a mistake, and she was meant to be out for the count. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I wonder whether there was something else going on there as well. But yeah, that was that. Coliseum video fans. What a very special exclusive we have for you. You just witnessed the history between the Supreme Fighting Machine, comma, and my Undertaker. And in just a few moments, you'll witness a little more history as my Undertaker takes his stroll down the aisle and steps into the ring and puts an end to the Supreme Fighting Machine. Comma. This time, you dug your own grave. And now I'm here to make sure that you lie in it. The crimes perpetrated against my creatures. That went over the line of what I can accept, what I can tolerate. The sands, the sands have fallen slowly through the hourglass till this time. And now, as the last one slides through, your day of reckoning is at hand. The day that you come face to face with all that is good and all that is evil. You look into the eyes of the Reaper, and you'll see that your fate is sealed. When this fateful night ends, comma, you can rest assured that your soul will belong to me and it will return to the dark side. Comma. Rest in peace. We watch a clip from WWF Superstars where Kama slams on Undertaker's Creatures of the Night. As a result, Gorilla Monsoon ordered that the Kama-Taker match be a casket match. Undertaker in a promo says Kama's attacks on his creatures went over the line of what he can accept. I move on to the casket match. It's Kama with Ted DiBiase versus The Undertaker with Paul Bearer. The action begins as Undertaker gets into the ring. He unloads on Kama. He throws him over the top right onto the casket and Kama is dazed. Undertaker orders the casket open and throws Kama straight into it, but Kama hops back out. This is the same double-wide, double-deep casket used against Yokozuna last year. Kama regains some control and knocks Taker to the mat, but Taker sits up. The crowd are going get going with a rest-in-peace chat. Kama knocks Undertaker onto the casket, who lands hard. 
DiBiase starts kicking Undertaker on the outside. Paul Bearer goes berserk, whipping off his jacket. He has to be restrained by the referees. Kama picks up the Undertaker and drives his back into the ring post. Kama sets for a pile driver onto the casket, but Taker flips him with a backdrop into the ring. The crowd set for a loud rest in peace chant. Kama attempts a pin on Undertaker. Kama locks in a sleeper and even uses the ropes for leverage, but it's legal in this match. This being true, Bearer still knocks his feet off the ropes. Kama goes back to the sleeper, which Taker slowly rallies out of. Taker hits his flying clothesline and the casket lid goes open. He clotheslines Kama over the top into the casket but falls in himself. The lid closes on them both, so the match continues. Kama crawls out, dragging some of the casket with him. Taker drags him back in, knocking Kama down, but Kama gets out again. Taker chokeslams Kama in the ring, then hits the tombstone. The crowd going nuts at this point. Taker tombstones Kama just once, then rolls him into the casket for the win. Jeff? Um, I mean, this match was what it was. I'd maybe question the wisdom behind booking both a ladder match and a casket match on the same pay-per-view. I think you can uh, spread out your like, gimmick matches. Uh, but with that said, I suppose that the gimmick match of Kama versus Taker in a cask match maybe needs that smoke and mirrors. So, I mean, I may be just contradicting myself, but, uh, you know, it's not like Kama is Ricky Morton or Ricky Steamboat or anybody who could relatively bump. So Taker and him, I always felt like Kama kind of worked like he was in cement when he was doing his offense. So it was a little dull for me. They need the smoke and mirrors. So a straight match isn't necessarily necessary here. Uh, personally, I'm waiting for Taker and DiBiase's cor- a million dollar corporation to just that few to die. I hate it. I just think it's a waste of everybody involved. Um, I, th- I thought Kama's like his kicks and the kind of gimmick that like street fighter Mortal Kombat UFC gimmick is kind of cool, uh, but he's just like, it's like he's working in quicksand. It's just kind of dull. Um, and that kind of gets me to the overall point. When I'm watching this match, I'm not even really enjoying the match. I'm going, you know, this is SummerSlam, one of the biggest cars of the year, and the Undertaker's working with the, working with the guy I don't really care about. And I think we just look at how soft that heel side of the roster is when both Taker and Brett are working with guys who aren't necessarily versatile. And it feels like there's a, a short-sightedness and a waste of those talents. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I just, I felt like there was no, there was no, um, there was nothing at stake here. I, n- I never, po- at no point did I feel Kama was going to win there was not a guy that was going to put Undertaker down for the count. And, you know, subsequently, I think my response is just kind of indifferent. Jeff, has Undertaker been working with guys that people don't really care about for a long time now? Do you, okay. Uh, yes, potentially. Like, if you want to go back to Giant Gonzalez and, and, and those type of guys. But I think and Mabel and Bundy and IRS but, and Undertaker or fake Undertaker. Um, well, but it's I, quite I, long. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think they're, they're squandering what he's able to do as a babyface because he's so, he's got that cool supernatural gimmick. However, I'll say that the Taker Yokozuna feud, at no point did I think Taker was going to walk through him because I thought that, that Yoko was this big, you know, just this badass sumo guy. And I think that they, they need to develop these heels because if you want to have a, a baby face that's going to crush guys, you got to build up the monsters to slam and Kama 
has never fit that build, and tonight was no exception for me. Tom? Uh, yeah, I, I would agree on uh, some of the points that Jeff made. I mean, uh, particularly on, on, on Karma being just so slow and, and, and sort of painfully slow at times, but... Well, I had a few thoughts during this match. Um, I, I thought that it reminded me how much I love the Undertaker character and how uh, that list of guys that you reeled off that he's been feuding with um, re- recently or even you know the last couple of years, um, it almost doesn't matter who he's feuding with because he is such a good character and the guy is so good in the ring for someone his size. It, it, almost, it almost doesn't matter because everyone comes to see the Undertaker. However, I think they're missing a, a, a trick because if they had him up against someone that was at his level on the other side of the ring... We could be talking, you know, the, one of the best views or the best matches of the year um, every every month of the year. So I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like they're, they're holding back on him slightly. But the, the match um, was re- was was really quite quite good actually. I, I, I thought for what it could be, it was probably as good as it ever was going to be. Um, I, I don't think at any point, and Jeff touched on this as well, at no point did I think that Karma was going to win, and that does take something away from it because you're not really invested in terms of the result. Um, because you know what the result is going to be, but you're, I was reasonably invested in how it was going to be played out, and I thought the actual psychology in the match was was was, that, was fine. Uh, uh, you know, both of them getting trapped in the in the uh, casket at the same time uh, was good. There was a good image of when Karma was trying to climb out and take was sort of pulling him back in, and it just reminded me of you know like the Evil Dead or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I have one of those proper horror images of him dragging him back down into the pits. I thought that was cool. Um, and I, I, one thing that did surprise me in this actually, and I haven't watched that much WWF um, this year to see if it to say if it's a new thing, but they really seem to be uh, pushing this this take a babyface thing because Paul Bearer was really involved and like like he was actually I saw at one point I saw him turn into the crowd and actually start starting a rest in peace chant and I've never seen him so animated um, and that was echoed in the in the sec- segment that you touched on Bob when he uh, took his jacket off and went running at DBS. And I, I got way too invested in that. And I actually, I actually jumped out of my seat and I was going, I was going, Paul, get him, Paul. Um, he, he was moving quickly as well for a guy who's oh, size. Yeah. He was motoring. Yeah, had a, t- had a touch of Vader about him, I thought, actually. Um, mainly that's the, the first and only time that Paul Barrow we compare with Vader, but no, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but I was in. I was all in for that. And when the referees were pulling him back, I was trying to get him out of the way and all that. Anyway, anyway I, it, I think the, the babyface thing is working really well for Taker and the creatures of the night thing it actually works really well because it means that people in the crowd can get behind him and there's a reason to get behind him. So I just think he needs that, he needs that opponent that's at the same level that he is to really show what he can do. Um, and I hope they do that sooner rather than later. Yeah, um, th- th- this was weird because I-, I kind of, I wasn't massively high on this match. One of my overriding feelings was that perhaps the casket stipulation possibly took away from it in the sense that it it, it meant a lot of the kind of in-ring action was quite inconsequential. There's one point where Kama sets up for a pin and they're like, well, you you you, you can't win this match by pin, pinfall. Um, but that all being said, all of our qualms aside and all these, I think, quite valid points about Undertaker's character and what they're doing with him, the crowd went nuts at the end. The crowd were just off yeah. one. And it was like, you, you can't deny that. There are sometimes where it's like, if, if there's that many people creating that kind of reaction, maybe I'm wrong. And, you know, it's not to say I was massively negative on this match, but the crowd were almost felt like they were reacting to a different match. So I don't ever get the sense, you know, I don't get the sense anyone in the building thought Undertaker was going to lose. So it wasn't like it was this massive moment, but the crowd were just going berserk. Um, and so it'll be... But, yeah, I, I agree with Jeff. The, the Taker-DBRC feud needs to end. It needs to go away. Um, DBRC does seem incredibly good at just kind of 
magnetically attracting heels towards him that don't really have any credibility or, you know, any kind of standing, which is kind of part of the reason they're with him. Um, but it does fall a bit flat when it comes to trying to create money matches of note. Uh, anyway, we move on. It's Dr. Isaac Yankum, DDS versus Bret Hart. Joe Lawler is on hand to introduce Isaac Yankum, DDS, who comes out wearing an eye magnifier and entrance music, which is essentially just drilling. Lovely. Brett cuts a promo on the other side of the curtain. And we start with Yankum starting on Brett in the corner. He drives his head off the turnbuckle. Yankum catches Brett and drives him into the mat, then goes for a big elbow drop, but misses. Brett sends Yankum to the outside, then hits a crossbody over the top rope. Brett sets for the sharpshooter mid-ring. Yankum resists, so Brett just drives his head into Yankum's midriff. Yankum drops Brett onto the ropes. Brett briefly gets his wrist jammed between the two ropes. Yankum whips Brett into the far turnbuckle that Bob Holly hit earlier, and it's still making a good sound. Joe Lawler is acting as a cheerleader on the outside. Yankum works over Brett on the ropes. The referee pulls Yankum off the submission by his hair. Yankum isn't happy. Brett is draped over the ropes. Yankum climbs to the top, almost losing his footing, and just about connects with a flying leg drop. Decent move for a guy of his size. Brett does a suicide dive through the ropes and unloads a series of rights on Yankum on the outside before driving his head off the steps. Brett hits the bulldog for a two, then a Russian leg sweep. Brett gets a sharpshooter locked in. Lawler crawls from his announcer's position over his desk to distract the ref. Yankum pulls Brett to the outside and throws him into the steps. Yankum climbs to the top, but Brett springs to life and throws him off of it. Brett pulls Yankum's legs around the ring post and ties them together using an electrical cable. The ref attends to Yankum as Brett goes after Lawler. Yankum climbs to the top and hits a double axe handle. Lawler grabs hold of Brett but doesn't let go before the fire count and the referee calls for the bell. Brett gets his head trapped between the ropes which actually looks quite painful. Brett eventually gets set free and then Brett does end up walking through a Razor Ramon pro- promo uh, after the match. He just kind of walks through on screen. Um, Tom? Yeah, I, I should uh, pre, uh, well, pre-warn everybody that my... Uh, I'm, I'm not Canadian, but I'm extremely biased towards Bret Hart. He's my, he's my, he's my favourite uh, in-ring worker in the world. So um, I enjoy every match of his that I watch. Um, however, having, having said that, am I right in saying this is Isaac Yankum's debut? Correct. Yeah, I was actually, I was actually impressed. I, I thought, I, I looked at him and I thought, oh no, he, he's been reeled off the, uh, the production line because of how tall he is and he's in, he's in good shape. But I thought he was going to be green as hell. And he, he was, uh, you could tell he was green. But actually, he's been trained well. I, I think I remember reading that he was trained by Al Snow, um, which, which actually says a lot um, in terms of uh, how, how he carried himself. Um, I thought it was a decent match. Uh, I, I, think, I think Bret Hart could have a good match with anybody. It's funny, you know, that's that old phrase. He could have a good match with a, a, a broomstick. Um, but Yankum's got some got some talent, um, and actually, as you said, Bob, he's, he's surprisingly agile. That leg drop uh, he did was 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 impressive, um, and I, there, there was a couple of good, nice sequences in the match, like when uh, Brett uh, sort of tried he, he he rolled over Yankum's back and, and and went down behind him for a small for for a roll up. I thought that was a really nice really nice sequence. Um, and I, one problem I did have with it is the I thought that there should have been a disqualification called a lot sooner than it was. Um, because the King got physically involved in the match before the DQ was, was given. And I think the only, the only point they gave the DQ was when, uh, they started getting him in the ropes. I, I think, if I, I might be remembering that incorrectly, but it should have come sooner. 
Um, and I agree with you that that spot with Brett's head between the ropes did look really, really nasty. And I, I, found, I found myself getting quite uncomfortable watching it because you could tell the only thing that was causing Brett from probably choking himself out was him actually prying the ropes apart far enough to, to keep his, his, his windpipes open. Um, yeah, there was one camera angle from kind of behind Brett that had the kind of the ropes disappearing into his hair. And it's like they don't look like they go very far apart. And I, I, I know that those ropes are very taut. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't be all that surprised if Brett wasn't actually in quite a bit of discomfort with that. Go on, Tom Caron. Yeah, no, and no, I think it, I think it's fine, but he didn't need to be in there for as long as he was. And I think that's where they sometimes need to be a bit safer with things because Brett's the kind of guy he's a he's a workhorse. He's he's never going to be the one to say, oh, that 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 went on for too long or anything like that. But they shouldn't they should be a bit more careful. I think, um, but it's, he seemed to be fine. You know, the segment, you know, as you say, he, he walked in on Razor's interview, which I thought was quite cool backstage, um, and Razor sort of shrugged it off. Well, that was, that was a nice touch. Um, but, uh, no, uh, g- g- good match. Uh, I think Yankum is, um, this feud's obviously going to continue, uh, with King as well involved. Um, and I think it works reasonably well. And I think, um, Yankum's got, he's got a potential to actually be a pretty, pretty solid worker. And because of his size, he'll stand out from the crowd. Um, so yeah, this a big thumbs up from me. Jeff. Uh, first note, Brett deserves better. All right. You have Razor and Shaw in a ladder match. You have Diesel in the main event. And you have potentially your biggest star in a match with a monster gimmick that feels like a really bad Saturday Night Live sketch with endless puns via Jerry Lawler. Uh, You know, I could reiterate this forever. Brett's a serious, legitimate, athletic competitor. So when they put him in there with a goofy gimmick monster heel, it just doesn't resonate with me. It just feels like, okay, Brett's going to have to go through the motions to carry this guy. I I mean, I'm familiar with Unabom or Yankum or whatever you want to call him from, from Smoky Mountain, but he's not on Brett Hart's level, let alone, you know, a Monday Night Raw level at this point. He's a he's he's a pardon the pun a raw talent. Brett deserves to work with guys that can meet him hold for hold, that can perform at his level. And if he has to bring someone up, let's make sure the feud matters. I thought Lawler and Brett was 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 the final nail in the coffin at, at King of the Ring, and now we've got this whole this dentist. The best part about the dentist gimmick is the Drill theme song because it's so grating and annoying. For me, the match went on too long. Uh, Lawler himself, I have he has no credibility to ever beat Brett. Uh, Brett deserves better. If, you, if, if you're going to have Razor and Sean in a ladder match rematch, Owen Hart's there, and yet Brett's wrestling a dentist. I think that kind of exemplifies WWF booking for SummerSlam. Brett deserves better. End of argument. Yeah, um, I wasn't particularly keen on this match. Uh, it was one of those things, I think the match lasted kind of 16, 17 minutes. And it, you get these matches every now and then where there are matches that you know aren't going to go to a finish. And as a result, they never really go anywhere. And this kind of felt like one of those matches. They didn't really feel like any. there were many kind of chapters or layers to it. Um, the action, while tight and while well executed, didn't particularly seem to be of much consequence. Um, Yankum isn't over enough yet to the point where I think he feels like, and that I think was the biggest problem. You've got Yankum, a guy who's you know been on Raw for three weeks, hasn't wrestled a match, to the best of my knowledge, um, and is you know, and, and and there's also the thought, Jeff, that 
what's Yankon's beef with Lawler, really? I mean, I know it. I can tell you it. I can tell you, you know, Lawler's like, I'm bringing my dentist along and there's all of that. And now he wants to you know, dominate the WWF. But it's like these two don't really feel like they have a beef. It feels like a de facto beef with Jerry Lawler that at best feels forced as well. Yeah, it feels like Memphis booking. It feels like Lawler's whole gimmick for years was you build up the monster and then you feed him to Lawler. And now Lawler's the guy who's feeding the monsters to the, uh, you know, uh, tenured babyface, and it just feels flat. It just, I'm not, it's not a knock against Isaac Yankum, because you know what, if I'm given that spot to work Bret Hart, I take it. But I feel for Bret, because Bret's working with a guy who's not his caliber, there's no heat, there's no feud, like what's the feud? The feud is that the guy I hate, is having his dentist wrestle me. Now, yeah. I've never wanted to fight a dentist in my life, and I've had cavities and, uh, you know, wisdom teeth taken out. I just go, you know what, that's their job. So at, at this point, it just feels like, it feels like old WWF booking while trying to be new generation, and that, that comes off as a fail. Yeah, I, I just jump in there. I do, I do agree with that, and that's one thing that I, I thought, is that this type of character is so not the new generation, and that's a term that was used so much during SummerSlam. This is the, you know, Diesel was the leader of the new generation, and and, and many other uh, guys, um, Razor and, and Sean mentioned, they're all part of the new generation, and Yankum feels like he's come directly out of the old generation, and that is a mistake. But I, I, I think in time, well, I hope in time, that they'll realise that, um, and I think I think there's enough in him um, for him to actually warrant his place on, on, on the card. Um, and I think, the, again, Bob, Bob, you touched on this on the last match, but the crowd were, were really into this. And, you know, Brett got a really big pop when he came out. And, of course, he's, he's over as, as, as we know he is. Um, but I, I, don't get, got the, I didn't get the impression that anyone that was watching it didn't enjoy it there. So all the time that the crowd's cheering it and going home with a smile on their face, are they really making mistakes? I guess we can look into it and say that they are. Maybe the crowd's wrong. Maybe that's it. Maybe us three are right and the X number of thousand people there are all wrong. That's, yeah, that's it, mate. You, you go that, down there with a microphone and tell them all that. That's sounding to, that's sounding to me like a, the best, uh, you know, explanation that I can come up with. But anyway, we move on. As I say, Brett just, just randomly walked through the middle of a, a Razor Ramon preview, just shot in front of the camera and walked off. Uh, Razor says Sean's career is on the line as well as his belt. And we move on. Take a deep breath in. I've just seen the length of my notes for this match. It's the Intercontinental Title Ladder Match. It's Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon. We have a delay while they try and get the belt in the correct position and at the correct height. Razor and Shawn exchange words in the centre of the ring. Razor shoves Shawn and we're underway. Michaels sets her a super kick, but Razor stops short and grabs onto the ropes. Razor goes for Razor's edge and Shawn slides out of it. Razor sends Sean flying into the corner. Sean does the flare corner spot on an unbelievable place, pace. Razor sets off up the R-way to get the ladder. Sean goes after him and the ladder remains in situ. Razor does an apron suplex to the outside. Sean cracks his foot on the guardrail but seems to be okay. Razor hits a big fall away slam from the second rope. We have a ladder in the ring. Razor attempts to retrieve the belt, but Sean pushes him off the ladder. Sean attempts to climb it. Razor pulls at his trunks and reveals his backside to the crowd. The female section of the crowd pop big for that. Razor pulls Sean off the ladder. Michaels lands awkwardly with his leg trapped between the ladder. Razor rounds the ladder into the back of Michaels' ankle, at the same ankle that Michaels snapped off the guardrail. Razor then sands Michaels, ensuring that his legs land on the ladder. 
Razor sets up the ladder across the second rope in the corner, then does a sort of atomic drop on it. Razor continues working on Sean's leg and ankle. Sean is struggling. Razor at one stage just takes the ladder and lets it fall on Sean's leg. Razor is healing this up big time. Razor starts to climb the middle of the ring. Sean somehow climbs to the top and hits a double axe handle, knocking Razor to the mat. Razor scales the ladder. Michaels follows and hits a back body drop. Ladder gets propped up in the corner. Michaels whips Razor into it and Razor takes an awkward bump. Michaels puts the ladder in the next corner. Razor takes the same bump, this time back first. Michaels scales the ladder in the corner, then does a moonsault from the top. Michaels sets to the big top big top of the ladder splash in the corner like from last year. He jumps, but Razor moves out of the way. The pair climb the ladder opposite sides. They go for what seems to be a choreographed double fall, but mistime it. Michael's crotching himself on the top rope, and Razor falls awkwardly to the mat and then to the outside. Razor goes to the outside and fetches a second ladder from underneath the ring. Michael's goes to climb the ladder. Razor puts him into the Razor's edge and dumps him to the canvas. Both men are out flat. Razor sets up his ladder, Sean sets up his, they climb parallel ladders, Sean knocks Razor off but then tumbles from the ladder in attempting to grab the title. Michael sends Razor to the outside, climbs the ladder, then gets two hands on the belt, falls off. Given how quickly he recovered the second time, I think that may have been a mistake. Michael then climbs the ladder, grabs the title and ends a brutal match. Tom? Why wasn't this the main event? I, I cannot I cannot understand it. It, it, it I, I do understand it because it's for the Intercontinental title, not the world title. But my God, the crowd were on fire for this match. Shawn, Shawn Michaels is a megastar. He is absolute money. He, he is Everything about him is saying, you can get more out of me than you're getting. And he knows it, and he knows it. And maybe that's why he's, why he's as good as he is in the ring, because he knows he's got, got to prove something. But my God, this match, I agree with what you said earlier on, Bob. It wasn't quite as good as their match at WrestleMania. Um, but it was an excellent match. And I, I, I was thinking at times, I was thinking, because I'm such a, again, such a big Brett fan, I was thinking I'd like it to have been Brett versus Sean. But Brett actually has got the technical ability that actually I, I prefer to see him wrestle than in those gimmick matches. So actually, and actually Razor Ramon, it, it, he can really work. And, and he's, got, he's got pace, he's quick. Um, he's got great um, psychology in the ring, um, and you can tell he really knows knows what he's doing. Um, and I just thought this match was great. Um, and some of the some of the bumps were particularly nasty. Like there's the suplex to the outside where Sean hit his foot on the rails. That looks painful. Sean Sean can sell like no one I've ever seen before. Ric Flair can sell, but Sean, my God, I think I think I think he's I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone sell an injury better than he does. There was a punch to uh, Sean on the outside from Razor. I rewound and watched it twice because it looked so good. And it was just a punch, just one punch. And the guy is, uh, uh, I just, I can't sing enough praises for him. Um, and I, I think that um, it was a huge mistake putting this match, A, before the main event, but B, so close to the main event. If they'd opened the show with it, people could have sort of forgot about it. Or I say forgot about it, but then they could have um, had their energy boosted by the time the main event came around, even though that's probably quite unlikely given the two people that are in it. But, uh, it was. I, I think it was a huge mistake, and I can't. I can't understand the logic for it. It's almost like, and with the fireworks and everything, and the way that they sort of presented it, it's almost like they knew that it should have been the main event as well. But it's like, well, we're going to present it as the main event, almost like a mini main event. But you've still got to sit through ten minutes of, of crap after it anyway. Um, but uh, no, I, 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 I could sing praises for this match forever, but but I won't. I'll just say that it was the match of the night, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. Jeff, no, I 100% agree. I thought, I, I thought it should have gone on last. And it's not like there wasn't a precedent sent in 1992 
when Brett and Davey went on last. It's not, like, it's not like Brett didn't go on it not last like for every match of his title reign last year either. No, I mean, I, I, I felt like, you know what, if, if backstage, if anyone thought, you know what, guys, Diesel and Mabel are going to blow this match out of the water, I think you got to fire those people right now. Um, these guys have tremendous chemistry. They've obviously worked the ladder match for whatever, the last 18 months, on and off. They get it. They have good psychology. As much as you can ask for a ladder match, especially between two baby faces, even though Razor works the heel. Um, I think, I think what most impressed me of this match was, look, they already had the quote unquote five star ladder match. This ladder match, they had to come up with everything entirely new, a different style to make you think this one was better. Whether or not they accomplished it personally, I think there were times where they they worked harder at certain spots. Um, specifically, I, I made note, like, I was like, Shawn Michaels makes these ridiculous bumps, these dangerous, dangerous bumps throughout the match, especially the, the suplex to the other side. And I, I regard them as Dynamite Kid-esque, which, you know, is a word of caution to Shawn Michaels, but don't let that get in the way of entertainment. Now, you know, Razor was working heel, kind of. Like, it was like that, that, like, he was working the leg. I was wondering, like, maybe this is SummerSlam 92 and Brett goes on to work for the world title while Davey gets the Intercontinental. Maybe Sean wins here and, and, and Razor goes on. Because for me, when I watch this match, I go, you know what? Razor is, sorry, Lex, the total package. He has that that, uh, you know, that hybrid size and, and million dollar look of Diesel and Taker, but he has that ingrained ability and poise of that new generation brand that Sean and Brett and Kid and Owen all kind of encapsulate. And when I look at Razor, I think, you know what, maybe he loses this match and it was a great match, but maybe he wins in the long run because he's not embroiled in the Intercontinental. I mean, he does have a, a run in with, with, with the Dean later. But I think, you know, he's just got everything Vince McMahon himself likes in a main eventer. I just, I, I left this going, you know what, maybe the loser ends up winning here. And I, I, I really enjoy this match. Yeah, um, three, firstly, three for three on this should have been the main event. As, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, we, we spent 1994 with Bret Hart being the champion and not being in the main event for, for matches that were far less deserving of the final spot than, than, than this would have been. Um, admittedly, the one thing I will say about that is that, you know, maybe it was WrestleMania, so it was a bit different, but, you know, this match was the co-headline of WrestleMania 10 and, Brett and Yokozuna didn't feel quite out of place as as uh, the Diesel and Mabel did here. Um, the match itself was exceptional, um, as, as, as I think I mentioned earlier. And, and one of the the critiques really of of the '94 match, one of the criticisms is that it's kind of Shawn Michaels wrestling a ladder. That's a line I've heard before. Um, and I, I, yeah, I don't agree with that, but I can understand where they're coming from in the sense that you feel like Sean made that match, that match last year. I don't think this, in this one was the case. I feel like Razor more than held his own. I love, like, him just healing it up. 
Um, I love that they basically built him up as a heel. He never really got booed, which I think assessed me to how he did that, given that he was kind of viciously working over Michael's ankle. Um, but they also, you know, they corrected it at the end, and well, I'll come to it now because I didn't, me- I didn't mention it. Uh, after the match, Razor snatches the belt from Sean, hands it back to him, offers out a hand, the pair shake hands, and then Razor Shane raises Sean's arm. So there's kind of that bit of moment of respect at the end. Um, but yeah, a, a, a really, really good match. If I had one criticism, um, I thought Sean took a hell of a beating on his ankle in the opening third of that match. I don't feel he properly sold it for the rest of the match. Um, mm. I, I wonder whether it's more of a case of perhaps you shouldn't have had the beating be quite so severe, but it's like that was the kind of beating that should have Shawn Michaels working off one leg for the rest of the match. Um, and he sold it at times, but it's like... You can only do, you can't do a moonsault off the top of a ladder off one leg. You can't do a splash off the top of a ladder off one leg. You can't climb the ladder at the pace he was climbing at times off one leg. So if I had a criticism, it was that. But you know, you can, you can call it adrenaline. You can explain it away if you like. Um, Tom, I'll ask you a question based on a point I made, you know, a little bit earlier in that point. That there is that thought in, in, you know, we're talking about Sean and quite rightly so. There is that thought that Sean at the, the ladder match last year wrestled the ladder I don't necessarily agree with it um, but I think we've really got to give Razor credit in that if you kind of feel that that time I don't think you can say this time that Razor didn't hold up his end of the bargain No I would absolutely agree with you I, I think that would in, in their planning for this match if I was Razor that would be my, my main focus would be to say look everyone loves the match we had last time but I want this match to be memorable for the, for the two of us not just for you because the big moment from the previous match was the splash from the top which is Sean you, you can't even see Razor in the clips that they show of that match and I think you could see that from Razor he had a real sort of sting in his step and he really was, was pushing his game up in this match I think in terms of his just his level of aggression and the way that he was slamming the ladder down onto Sean's ankle and all, and all that business um, I, th- I thought that um, it, it, it it, it was perfect. I, I think, well, I agree with your point, Bob, just on, on a slightly different tangent. Did, did, did either of you guys think that the, the end felt like it was, it was a botch and actually Sean... Yeah? Sh- yeah? So well, Sean- given how quickly Sean shot up that ladder the second time, I, I think when he grabbed it, when he grabbed the belt the first time and then fell off, I think you watch Sean's facial reactions, that was meant to be the finish. And yeah. he looks quite pissed off when he writes the ladder, climbs up it, pretty quickly if we're going to be critical he kind of had to because razor was stirring so he can't you know yeah i'll, I'll let him off that you know given the match he'd been through he made an error he, he covered for it well enough but yeah no I, jeff did you think any differently on that uh i thought you could kind of see through the veneer of the hbk character into Shawn michaels the person yeah, having definitely. a little bit of a temper tantrum and you know what? In front of however many people at the Igloo in Pittsburgh, maybe as a professional, uh, after going through this war, you don't necessarily respond the way you do, or Sean does. I don't know. I mean, if if I've gone through that match, and I've gone through a match that's that good, and then I fuck the finish... Uh, I'd find it quite difficult, you know, just, for, I, I could, you, you could argue it, and you know, it would go against everything we know about Shawn Michaels the person, but you could argue that most people in that situation might be quite miffed that they've just blown the finish. Go on, Jeff, and, and the flip side to that would be Bret Hart wouldn't have. So. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, well so, 
Bob, I actually thought, and I, again, I, I went back to rewatch this twice. I think he might have actually botched the finish twice. Because when you go back, he, yeah. he's at the top, he's at the top of the ladder and he, and he jumps off. He literally leaps off the ladder to grab it, misses it. He then gives Razor a backdrop to the outside, then goes up and, and grabs it and falls off while he's holding it. He then climbs up again and grabs it. I actually think he was meant to grab it the first time. And I think that's why he was so annoyed because he well, actually did it give, twice. I wonder whether he kind of thought, I'm going to make a dart at this really big finish, the jump yeah. off the ladder and try and grab it. But with a view of this might not go well. If not, I'll dump race to the outside and then climb up. And then, because what, what he tried to do the second time was kind of grab onto the belt. And as he grabbed onto it, he tried to kind of fall off and kind of rip the belt off with him. And that was how he blew the second the, the, the second finish. So I get the feeling that he kind of did the first one with a viewpoint, well, this might not work. I'm going to try. If it doesn't work, we got this full backup plan. And then it failed again. And that's why I think he might have been quite frustrated. But, yeah, no, I think you may be right there. He, he, he may have had two darts at the finish. But, you know, uh, we can be hypercritical of this match. It was phenomenal. I mean, I, the, I think one of the best spots of the match was the suplex early on, where Sean just rattles his anchor off the guardrail. It's one of those things where... It, it, it felt, it sounded so good that it looked like an accident, but given how much it played into the, the next kind of 10 minutes of the match, it's like, well, I don't think that was an accident. And yet, fair play for, for Sean and Razor for lining up that bump, and Sean for taking a bump that must have hurt. Um, but anyway, we, we move on to the main event. Wow, I thought I've seen it all. But let's start right off with the definition of bad. <laughs> A failure to reach an acceptable level of performance. I think tonight here at SummerSlam, the entire world sat in awe and saw exactly why the bad guy, (laughs) Razor Ramon, is called the bad guy. Let's backtrack for just a second. There is a slang or a street use of the word bad, but we'll not go with that one because that means good. Instead, let's go with the proper definition of what bad is all about. Because it means failure to extend. Yo, Chico, I don't need some armchair quarterback, some bookworm telling the bad guy how to fight. No, wait. All you've done so far is talk, man. No, wait, just one second. You got no right to barge in here in my section of the... Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Now well, just, let's get it on. Now, just wait one second there, my friend. Wait one second. Oh, this yeah. is a classroom, and we don't need any violence here. Well, that's what I thought there, Dean. You all bluff and no stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Any way you want it, guy. <laughs> oh, oh. Come on, Chico. Yeah. You want some, man? You want to get it on, man? Huh? You want some more, Chico? All right, but Unbelievable! Razor Ramon, ladies and gentlemen, taking it to Dean Douglas. We're back with Dean Douglas. Douglas implies that Razor is the bad guy because he falls short of standards. Razor confronts him during the segment. They have an altercation. Douglas takes a swing. Razor blocks him and lays him out. And we move on to the main event. It's the WWF Championship match. It's King Mabel with Sir Moe versus Diesel. Mabel grabs the title off Diesel and poses with it. Major shoulder tackles Diesel, then shouts, I'm ready to be the first black champion. Diesel charges at Mabel in the corner, sends Mabel tumbling to the outside. Diesel hits a crossbody to Mabel on the outside, taking him down. Mabel charges at him, but runs into a big boot. 
Mayo whips him into the corner, then hits a slam. Mayo then drops all of his body weight onto Diesel's lower back. Neither man then moves for a while, seemingly Mabel is working a submission. Mayo hits a body slam, then, go, then goes dropping a running elbow, but Diesel moves. With the official down, Samo and Mabel double-team Diesel. Outruns Lex Luger. It's not really clear whose side he's on, because Diesel you know, thinks he might be you know, turning on him like Bulldog did. Diesel fights him off, but the heels remain in control. Luger then starts attacking Samo, which gets the crowd whipped up. Mabel hits a belly-to-belly. The ref climbs back into the ring and does a very slow count. Diesel barely kicks out. Mabel goes to the second rope, misses the move. Diesel follows, hits a clothesline, and pins Mabel for the three. Jeff? Um, my note on this is, this is Bundy Hogan at WrestleMania 2. Except, imagine if Hogan wasn't over, Bundy didn't have Heenan to cut his promos, and they didn't have the smoke and mirrors of that big blue steel cage. Uh, this bout, for me, is the antithesis of what the new generation should be. And for a guy of Mabel's, let's call it girth, he moves around worse than most of the oldest guys in WCW right now. Uh, this type of match that Vince is trying to build up right here only works if you've got a, either a monster heel like, say, Vader, who the fans believe is a legitimate ass kicker a legitimate world beater, a guy who can beat your babyface, or you've got a babyface that has a serious loyal traction with the fans whom they want to see slay the dragon. Neither was pleasant here. I thought the finish was a mess. When Luger runs down and then Diesel takes a shot at him, I'm like, wait, is he is he helping or hurting or, or what? It felt like a fumble. It felt confusing. It felt botched. Uh, I said... Worst match of the card. And then in bold letters, I, I, I noted to myself, where are Davey and Owen? They tease Davey all night. His turn is one of the most, I don't know, shocking might not be the word, but relevant of the last while. Yet he's a non-entity. And it, it's probably coming in with the best momentum to outright challenge Diesel going forward. And then you've got Owen Hart, who yet again, one of the top three workers in the company, is not on a pay-per-view, which is a painful oversight, underrate, give it, take it, whatever. I just, I watched this match and I was like, it was under 10 minutes and yet it felt longer than the rest of the pay-per-view combined. Uh, just, just garbage. Tom. I hated it. Um, from from the moment it started to the moment it finished, I hated it. I, I hated the the positioning of it. I hated the uh, the feud, uh, the story behind it. Uh, I I felt almost. I I went into the match thinking that I wasn't going to like it, and there was nothing in it that made me actually think, oh, well, I I could like this if I if I really wasn't so uh, negative before I'd started watching it. There was a point in, in the match, and you mentioned it in in the sort of description of the of the, the match, but when. Mabel was literally sitting on Diesel's back, and uh, oh, that uh, looks so painful! Like Diesel's lying like face down on the mat, and Mabel yeah. just dropped all his weight on the base of his spine, and like nothing happened for about thirty seconds. Oh, I like no. that. That can't have ended well. No, I know. And when when he sat, which I thought looked painful, I thought, okay, he's gonna he's gonna position this into a camel clutch. No, he just sat there. 
I literally, I stood up from my, my seat and I said, what is he doing? He looked like he was sort of trying to get reaped for a camel clutch, but couldn't quite bod- be bothered enough to, to, re- to lean forward to actually get it locked in. <laughs> so he was just sitting on top of him. Um, and then after that, Diesel sort of rolled onto his side and Mabel sort of fell back like a baby who'd eat, eaten too much food. It was, uh, all right, it was just a calamity. Um, and I, I agree with Jeff about the, the run-in from Lex. I thought, why? Like, it was only when, when he was when he was cleaning uh, when when he somehow he he you could see that was the I think that was the reason why he came down was to get rid of him. Um, but it didn't make sense. And also, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was thinking, why is Bulldog not here? We, we saw him earlier. What's he doing? Um, yeah, it, but Bulldog, apart from that picture in picture, doesn't appear on the show. No, it's bizarre. It's really bizarre. It's almost like it's almost like they had him booked to do something and then it didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, and you would hope that was the reason, rather than just showing him just for the sake of showing him, turning up and looking looking like he means business and then just not appearing. Um, I just think it was a, a huge mistake having this as the main event and it, it really, really bothered me quite a bit. I, re- I really didn't like it. Yeah, the, the Bulldog thing's really strange because not that you want to be doing this to your pay-per-view audience, but it's not like there's a, a TV show the following night where you can kind of create this hook, oh, we still haven't heard from Bulldog, will we hear from him on Monday Night Raw? You haven't got an episode of Raw for over two weeks. Like, you know, if you if he appeared on the show, the only reason to do it would be to, 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 to have a payoff to that or, or some kind of continuation of that angle. They didn't do it, so I can't really explain that. Um, as the match itself, uh, the best praise I can give it, honestly, I thought it was going to be worse. That's probably the best thing I can say about it, is that it was still awful, but it, 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 it wasn't, it didn't quite plumb the depths I was perhaps expecting. That's about as good as I can say. And, you know, the near four with the belly to belly was quite effective. Um, you know, but they're just killing Diesel here. You know, I mean, like Diesel, you put me in the ring with a guy, you can't even hit his finisher on. Um, so he has to hit this like really, really strange kind of flying shoulder tackle slash clothesline that doesn't look like it should keep Mabel down, but it does. Um, yeah, just bad, just a, a real shit way of uh, of ending the show, and that's where we'll conclude it. So, Tom, we will come to your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of ten. Yeah, overall, I was impressed um, with with the show, as I as I said in my first piece. Um, I, I thought that it, it started well, and it actually was consistently good and watchable uh, through to the, the the women's match, which I which I really had questions over. Um, uh, I thought that it had a couple of really well, it had one excellent match, a couple of pretty really good matches, um, and there was only one true stinker. Uh, and I thought the the, the, the backstage stuff with with, uh, with the dean was awkward, but then I liked the segment with Razor. I thought that was really interesting, and I thought that 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 left me thinking, okay, I'd like to see where they go with this because I know what both of them are capable of, and it was it was really sort of a nice teaser. So overall, the show the show gets a six from me, um, but that's that's hugely dragged down by the main the main event. Jeff, uh, yeah, I you know what I almost echo that as six. Uh, I thought Sean Razor was excellent. I thought it was, uh, you know what, I, I'd almost be as bold to say it was better than, than their first at WrestleMania ten. Uh, I enjoyed the opener. Uh, I enjoyed Horowitz and 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 Skip. I even thought Helmsy and Bob Holly for what it was was serviceable. The tags with the smoking guns was good. I, I mean, I feel I felt like I got my money's worth. So you know what? Let's just say seven. It's an average pay per view. Uh, that I enjoyed, and the reason it's a seven and not like a, I said I enjoyed it is because, I, I, as mentioned earlier, that main event 
stunk up the joint more than it should have. A lot of matches gone last. I enjoyed it, but it could have been more enjoyable. So, and Brett deserves better. Yeah, I'm with you on the seven out of ten. Um, you know, you can't take the main event out of it, but if you do, this is actually a very good show. Um, you know, in terms of the, the one thing you can always say is, you know, give me good in ring action if you can't give me anything else. And prior to the main event, they did just that. Um, and the fact that Sean and Ray is just so exceptional that it will drag up any card. Um, but yeah, th- there's no excuses for a for a main event that bad. I think that's you know, and we knew going in, you know, this it, it looked like it was gonna shit up the place going in. We said it last month. You're gonna do Mabel and Diesel. It's gonna stink, and it did. Like, yeah, and we talk about them correcting the card because, you know, they they thought, well, this is going to die a death on paper if we do Sean and Sid and then Diesel and Mabel. The question is, is why did you only correct the one match? I don't know what you could have done, given that you were kind of quite committed on the Mabel and Diesel front, but at the very least, don't put it on last. At least if you have it on not last, you can put a lot more smoke and mirrors, maybe have it end in a in a nefarious way, and and then you'd be all right. But I don't know. Anyway, uh, we are going to lose Tom at this stage in the show, because he's got to have dinner. Uh, yeah, that is quite important. Um, so, Tom, important, importantly, don't drop off the call at this stage. I'll, I'll, I'll cut you off like normal at the end of the part. Um, but, Tom, thank you very much for joining us for, for, for this bit of the show. And tell us where you can find us, where you can find you on Twitter. Uh, yeah, thanks to both of you. Um, you can find me on Twitter on Mark Out Martin, and that's with a Y. And uh, what are you having for dinner, more importantly? Uh, we're having burritos, so I am edging towards the door, literally, as I talk to you. Um, <laughs> okay. I can smell them. And my hunger right. is exceptional. Okay, all right. Well, everyone listening now is really hungry. I'm really hungry. Uh, but me and Jeff have got the rest of the show to do. Uh, but thank you very much, Tom. And we'll be back after this. And we will be discussing all of the news and notes from WWF this month. Uh, yeah. Hollywood. The home place of the rich and the famous. A corner of the world in Southern California where dreams are made and lives are shattered. Many people have come into this magical town and made quite a name for themselves. You got Dean. And you got Bogart. And you're Peck. You're Peck. My favorite Maryland roll. The Tinseltown roll call goes on and on and on. However, <laughs> there is a difference between these stars and the legend. Many summer days in acting 101. That's the difference. And that is the difference. Look into my eyes. That is the difference between them and you. You see, I was born a star. 
It was a gift from that great one in the sky. No editing, just pure talent. Superstars of the World Wrestling Federation. Gold dust comes up to the same. We're going to realize quick. We're not in Kansas any longer. When I defeat your diesel champion, they put one gold around my waist. I'm going to invite you to be my personal guest. At the biggest. Of your life, Oscar, step aside, gold dust. I'm talking hot. Is it coming? And we come back, and Jeff will we'll discuss the promo we just heard, listening to uh, the debut vignette of Gold Dust, aka. AKA Real name Dustin Rose. We'll, we'll, you know, you'll be able to talk about his his kind of upbringing in WCW. Um, but I will give them all the credit in the world if their if their number one goal was to disassociate Dustin Rhodes from Dustin Rhodes, they did a very very good job with this vignette. I guess. <laughs> uh, at some points, it just feels like another rib on Dusty. I don't know. It just. I think that gold which, which, which bit of this is a rib? A rib? Uh, we're taking your son, who's got a lot of talent, and we're going to make him into a homosexual film critic. And he's going to have a name that's partly homaging your old nickname of Stardust. And he's going to have all of these mannerisms that are just completely effete, and yet... You know, it's 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 you've 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 booked him in WCW for five years to be this the natural, and now we're just gonna we're just gonna kibosh that, and we're gonna kind of just make him into this androgynous, controversial character, forgetting his work, forgetting everything he's done. It it, it feels in part spiteful, in part controversy seeking. But if you look at all of the sponsors between Stridex, Acne Cream, or whatever it is, and, you know, all the uh, toys and blah, blah, it just feels tone deaf for WWF to try to book a character like this at this time uh, without coming across as, as exploitative. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason I say, you know, why do you see it as a rib is that I was, I've been under the impression, based on the reports that we have, that... Dustin Rose had a fair amount of input into what he's doing at the moment and also the fact that he kind of arrived at negotiations with the remit of I don't want to be presented as the son of Dustin Rose. Now yes, there is a far cry from not wanting to be presented as the son of Dusty Rhodes and whatever they've got here. Um, but equally, I, you know, I, I don't know how much of this gimmick was him and how much of it wasn't. It, it is part of the point I'd make. Um, in terms of the character itself, I mean, you know, you can only judge so much from, from from a couple of vignettes, and yes, it was quite strong. One thing I'm hearing is that the idea is that he's going to be quite effeminate out of the ring, but in the ring he's going to be quite vicious and quite violent, which I guess will be quite a nice contrast. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, it, it, it kind of feels like a lot of gimmicks we've had where you know they'll come in. 
all couple of nice vignettes and then they'll just sit in the mid card. You know, Jean-Pierre Lafitte comes to mind, Waylon Mercy comes to mind, or a lot of other names that fit in that character, a category, sorry. Characters that come in like, oh, this is a bit different, a bit out there. And then they never really develop it beyond the opening act. They never really get any further. And I think that's what they've got to do. I mean, Jeff, I guess the flip side of this question is, how effective would it have been in just bringing him in as Dustin Rhodes? Well, I, I think earlier when I, I, I talked towards the smoking guns and, and the fact that cowboys in the, in the northeast of the United States aren't necessarily prevalent, I, I think Dustin Rhodes is a talent enough to, to make something work. I think this gimmick of like a living Oscar statue, it's a, it's, whether it's him trying to spite his father because of, you know, whatever relationship he has, uh, he and his wife or whatever. And if you go back to, you know, him wanting to, 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 to cut his own path in this business, I just think, I, let's play this. Of all the gimmicks you've seen in the last five years, I think Dustin Rhodes, if you wanted to show up like Bill Watts's kid as Techno Team 2000, you don't have to call him Dustin Rhodes. He could be Waylon Mercy or he could be, you know, uh, you know, Dustin Horowitz. I mean, there are so many different alternatives. This one seems specifically targeted and spiteful. I think Dustin can make it work because great talent can make a lot of things work, but I think he has to be committed to it. Otherwise, it's just a flash in the pan, and then he'll job to whoever in two months. Oh, yeah. If there's no conviction here, this will die a death. Um, if he's not all in, this will die a death. If he's all in, it might still die a death. Um, but yeah, as I said, I think that the question really is, is that if you'd have wanted to, because the one thing we can say about Dustin Rose in WCW is that he was, you know, reasonably popular. He was in that kind of level two, level three tier of baby faces. Okay, it was a bit of a, yeah, it was a bit of a dry character, you know, the natural isn't really much of anything and it perhaps lent on his dad's name a bit too much. You know, Dustin sounds a lot like Dusty. Um, you know, so there's a bit, you know, it's almost, you know, even if it wasn't by design, it's almost like, well, you know, the names are a bit similar. Um, but I kind of feel like there's moving away from the Dusty Rhodes name and the kind of quite obvious character. And then there's this, and I kind of feel like they've gone a long, long way, almost to the point where it might be quite difficult, um, to pull off. Uh, we'll move on. We'll, we'll discuss the other major character change. Um, and, and, and in a way, you know, for a guy who's never played a heel before, something almost as significant, Jeff, uh, the British Bulldog is now a heel. What do you think about that? I love it. I love it. If you watch the old British Bulldogs tag team, Dynamite is this, is this ferocious, furious, just, he's a wild man. He's doing these crazy bumps and he's just, he's going in there. But when, when times get tough, he tags in the muscle. And the, he was the anvil to, to Dynamite's breath. And I think if you look at the good, the good nature and the, and the goodwill that, that Davy Boy has with the fans, by kiboshing that in one instance, he, he hotshots himself to the number one contenders list as a heel where they don't have a lot of them. If you watch that Mabel match and then you go, geez, am I going to pay for a pay per view with Mabel and Diesel? Or the British Bulldog and Diesel, which one has more traction? And I, I just think Davy as a heel now, maybe he needs a mouthpiece because he's, well, he's got, got Cornette, we think. Yeah. So, you know, 
the charisma and the and the actual verbalization of things can be can be uh, disseminated in in various ways. But in ring, I think he's a he's a solid, a decent worker. He's got a great look. He's got like it's not like he's turned twenty times like Mister Luger, where he was the narcissist, then he was an American patriot, and whatever. This guy has has shown you. Look, fans, I love you. I'll do the vertical suplex. I'll do these things. I'm a member of the Hart family, and now he's a bad guy. I think there's length, especially if you want to go over and do European tours, uh, whether as champion or challenger. Diesel versus Davey is a is a very interesting matchup, and I think there's a lot of potential there, man. No, I wouldn't disagree with anything you said in the sense that I kind of feel like Bulldog as a babyface was quite dry. It was kind of like, you know... You know what you're going to get, but equally you don't feel like he's going to progress any further in Babyface. I agree with everything you say in terms of, you know, as a heel, he has a lot of potential. But I guess my, my question, Jeff, is uh, of all the Babyfaces on that roster, or, you know, scratch that, of all the guys on that roster, heels included, if you were going to elevate a heel into that spot or turn a guy into that spot, would Davey be near the top of your list? I no. don't think he'd be near mine. No, I would have turned Razor. I would have had Razor win. And I would have had, I think he's the total package. I think yeah, that if, yeah. if, if you have Razor have lay Diesel out with that, like let's say Diesel does a, a 10 spot in the corner and Razor reverses it, Razor's edge, he wins the title. And they're friends, but they're not, and blah, blah, blah. I think Razor Ramon with challengers like Diesel and Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart and The Undertaker. I think I just gave you a year long's booking, which is short for me. Yeah. That's that I think Razor Ramon, I think he checks every mark. I think he's the promo, the look, the good enough work to do it. He's a hell of an athlete. He looks excellent. He can talk. I mean maybe you, you wane down on that scarface type gimmick with the accent, because we all know it's it's a worked accent. But I think I think with with Razor, you have a viable, not just a number one heel, but a number one draw, which Diesel hasn't done. Um, otherwise, I mean, I think, I think you just, yeah, Davey, Davey on the course they're going, I think he's their best alternative. I think, I think within a year from now, you're going to see Razor Ramon drawing money as a heel champ. Yeah, no, I, I, I can see that. I mean, I, you know, I, I just come back to the fact that, like, by all means, turn Bulldog heel, but I wouldn't have turned him in the main event. It's like, you know, there's there's a dozen other guys I think I would have put him in front of him ahead of him in this spot. Shane Douglas probably one, although you might quite correct, rightly argue it's probably too soon for him. Uh, Owen another, you know, Brett, uh, Sean, you know, there's, there's a real long list of names here that I would have put in the main event before I think I would have turned Bulldog. But, you know, I think Bulldog's going to draw more money in a, in a main event program as a heel than he would do as a babyface. So it's not the most horrendous thing. Um... And would you, Jeff, what do you think of the angle that did it? I mean, I, I kind of, I'll, I'll give them that. I thought it was quite clever. You know, Bulldog comes out, Diesel's doing an in-ring interview. Bulldog says, you know, I'm, right, Luger's not here. Irony, irony as he was. Um, but Luger's not here. Um, I need a tag partner to face, you know, on a mission. And Diesel's like, well, I don't need an excuse to face Ben on a mission. We'll do it. And then Bulldog clotheslines Diesel and they do the post-match attack. Um, I thought that was quite effective. Yeah, I loved it, and surprisingly, I didn't see it coming because Davey has such that long tradition of being a, a good guy that when you watch that, you're like, you know what? Yeah, 
let's see the tag guy, you know, Luger, the Allied Powers, they're, they've run their course, whatever, but man, if Luger's not there, imagine Diesel and Davey, let's, let's see them kick some bad guy ass. And, and then you watch the match and, uh oh, yeah, Davey's, yeah, Davey's got alternative, alternative, an ulterior motive here. And, yeah. and that's, I enjoyed that. I thought, you know what? I mean, maybe I should have seen it coming, but I like Davey's such a good guy that when he does something bad, it, it's extra hurtful and that works. Yeah. T- Taking the box of what they did, I just feel like uh, I'd have, I'd have done it with four or five other people before I would have gotten the bulldog. Um, and the final discussion point this month really isn't about WWF, but we'll, we'll, we'll focus it on that because, uh, we have the upcoming debut of WCW Monday Nitro, uh, next week or, or on Monday night, uh, unopposed against WWF, uh, because WWF's preempted for all this week. Um, so really th- th- this question doesn't really apply for week one, I suppose, again, there's nothing they can do and they are going to pre-tape the 11th of September edition of, uh, of Monday Night Raw. Um, but Jeff, I guess, so, Focusing less on just the first head-to-head and more just generally, do you think the WWF need to do anything massively differently? To, to you know, is it? I'm kind of working on the opinion that it's really WCW's move to make first, and that WWF for all their faults this year, their television has been pretty good. The ratings have been pretty good, and when they put when they wanted to put on good matches, they've been able to do that. Do you think WWF need to change anything about their raw product? to potentially counteract what might come from Nitro. Yes, I, I think there are two things. I think I think WCW right now is looking at, look, we have the money, so if we're going up against, let's say this is this is a city or a town or whatever, and the number one steakhouse in town is WWE. If I'm WCW right now, they've hired away the top chefs, and they've hired away the top servers, the top bartenders, and everybody, and they're making as good a food, or relative, relative, relatively speaking. You know, if, if you look, if you're WWF and you're the big, the big dog, if you're the number one steakhouse in town, what do you do when competition shows up? You change your menu. You know, you go with what works, but you also have to introduce things that are going to be as popular as what works. So if you have Brett, Sean, Taker, and let's say maybe Razor, you gotta build more stars. And that's what Vince McMahon has always exceeded at. Making new stars. Now, what he has to do is he has to pivot and try not to make the same mistakes that he did earlier in, as in Mabel or Sid and guys that maybe aren't as 90s-centric stars. But I think what Vince has to do is he's branded the new generation. That's a start. But he can't match Turner and WCW with stars. They have Hogan. They have Savage. They have Flair. They have these guys that are bona fide main eventers that can draw. So what they're going to have to do is is show the fans, look, yeah, you can have this steak here or the steak across the street in WCW, but if you stay with us, you're going to get XYZ extra because we're proven and and here's our goodwill and here's what we're going to show you. So I think when it looks like you have these new characters like one, two, three kid, or he's not new, but younger characters, fresh, vibrant, new things – I mean, I'm, I'm comparing this obviously to the restaurant business. New flavors at first might not necessarily taste as good, but after a while, oh my god, this is new, this is different, this is something bold, this is something interesting. And then the thing that's old becomes old and boring and blah, blah, blah. I think their best bet, the, the WWF Monday Night Raw brand, 
is to say we're the new generation, we are work rate, we are the best wrestling product, and we have the best wrestling promoter behind us. Yeah, I, I can't massively disagree with that. I mean, I think the one thing on the work rate point is that as we discussed in, uh, well, we, I wasn't really on it, as well, uh, we, we, we kind of discussed it last month as well, but I was mainly referring to the ECW show this month. Um, it, it, you know, WCW are bringing in Benoit, Guerrero, Malenko, Sabu. They're bringing in work rate names. So I think you've, and part of it's WWE's own fault. They had Benoit on, uh, on a, on a trial a couple of months ago. They had a tryout match with Benoit against Bob Holly. They had him in there. By all accounts, they liked him. By all accounts, Benoit said, no, I'm not going to give up Japan. And they said, right, well, you know, we, you know, we, we, we don't do that. We don't let people wrestle Japan and be in our thing. So that's their own fault. But WCW are going to throw work rate at them. I, I think the, what they've got to do is they've got to be aware of that. I don't think there's much they can do because, you know, they just haven't signed Guerrero and Benoit and Malenko. Um, but equally, I think they've got to say, okay, we need to put a bit more of a focus on Owen Hart, on the 123 Kid, on Hakushi, on the names we've got. Because the one thing that WWF uh, have been better at for the last, certainly in the couple of years I've been doing this product, is that they have been better at getting over unknown talent. WCW, in part because they haven't had to. WCW have been quite happy just to bring in existing names. But you look at a guy like Alex Wright, a guy like Brian Pillman, or a guy like Johnny B. Bad, a guy like Lord Stephen Regal, people like that. They're talented workers, but because they don't have name value, they're not really given that opportunity. Now, okay, you know, Benoit to WCW doesn't have any name value. He needed to stab boot. So it might be a case that they might change that. And I think Pillman is going to be on the opening show. Um, but, you know, they've WCW at the bottom end probably has the better roster of workers. But they don't or they haven't shown the capabilities of being able to get those guys over. If I'm the WF, I'm like, look, you know, to a point, I think we've got to say we've got to stick with what made us so good. Their ratings have been good this year. They've had their faults, but their TV ratings have largely been pretty strong. And the expectation, I think, for a lot of people is that WCW will struggle for a long time against that in the sense that they have this existing audience. They've had it for over two years on Monday nights. There isn't really a reason to believe that WCW is going to come in and take a significant chunk out of that, not early on. So I think to a point, you've just got to say, look, we know what we're good at. We've been doing this for a while. We've been creating good television that WCW haven't been able to do. And it's like, they've got these strengths. We can't really match that. They can't really do a lot about Hogan. Hogan's there. You can't create your own copy of Hogan. They've got Luger, but we know how that failed. You can't do that. They've just got to focus on what they're good at, which has been creating compelling matches in main events that people want to watch on TV that doesn't cripple the other areas of their business. There is a thought that in the final three month, three or four months of this year, we're going to see a much higher level of main event standard of wrestling. We may well do, but both companies have got to trade that off against, well, you know, we've got to be able to put on good matches to counteract good matches that the other guys are doing, but equally we've got to be able to save matches that people are going to buy on pay-per-view. So the, 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 there's that there's that kind of trade-off as well. Jeff, any further comments? Yeah, I just think, I think when it comes to Vince McMahon, I think he has to focus less on being paranoid about replicating the past. I see, I just see King Mabel as King Kong Bundy or, or, or one of the many immobile dudes. I, I, just, I don't think Mabel is, is anywhere close to Bundy. Um, no, but, but what I see there is I see Vince making a, a monster heel, giving him a SummerSlam main event and a King of the Ring based off of nothing but his look and his size. And I think if you go away from that and focus on developing 
stars like Vince did. Like, I think the Randy Savage prototype in 86, the way you introduce somebody, develop them along, and then get the fans to get in, you know, invested in them, that's, that's, that's the long-term yield. I think, you know, I can pirate, uh, another sports team's star players, but if I'm not building my own, my own roster with, with, with prospects, when those talents are, are past their prime, I'm screwed. And I think that's where Vince McMahon really has to look and say, okay, who are my diamonds in the rough? Who can I build? And if, I, if I'm watching SummerSlam, I go, well, the the, the Hakushi kid made it, uh, opening match, not main event, opening match. There are guys there that I think I could merchandise, I can sell. And I think if you come, if you combine Vince McMahon as the promoter with work rate, I think you have an unparalleled project product because as good as WCW's workers might be. They are missing the guy that made WrestleMania. Well said, well said, and that will bring a conclusion to this what match. What a finishing soundbite. What a finishing soundbite. Yeah, well done. I was going to leave that oh. a little bit longer. Uh, perhaps we done. Uh, firstly, thank you to Tom Martin, who presumably is busy enjoying his burritos. And a very special thank you to Jeff Parker. Thank you very much, Bob. Uh, Jeff, you are on Twitter. I am. I've tried to rename my Twitter account for a professional development ideal. It's uh, at Jeff P P A. Sorry, Jeff P P R K E R. I don't know. It's it's it, it's that's not, not right. Is it? Hang on, let me check that. That's not right. It's, I, it's, it's just one P, isn't it? Well, the, the thing is, I don't want the bi- I don't want my uh, business contacts to be able to look up all my wrestling nerddom, so I don't. Spell Parker as I did, but I've 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 screwed it up, obviously. Yes, you have. You 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 blew your own promotion. It's Jeff P R K E R. There you go. So, there it is. Thank you very much, Bob, my shameless self-promoting friend. I, I love how like that's that's the idea. That's the way of not being able to look you up is just playing it Parker like that. Well, yeah, I didn't want the A to be known, so I can get a job with the government. <laughs> But but your your Twitter name, the bit above your username, still says Jeff Parker. But you have at least capitalised the final R, so you know that's that's going to fool them all. Um, Jeff, thank you very much as always. Uh, you are going through a couple of very busy months with uh, a thesis. That's right. Yes, it is. But you know what? Honestly, if I could find two hours of a day to do this, I have so much fun talking with you guys. Uh, I can do my research. You know. If it's three yes. in the morning. Who needs a thesis? Who needs, who needs work? Who needs, who needs a degree and to pay bills? No, I would love to come back again, uh, no matter, earlier, sooner, whatever. Uh, it's, it's not a problem. I, I love this. So it's really fun. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, no, it certainly is. Uh, we, we, we may not hear you for a couple of months, but I think we'll, we'll have a, we'll, we've got a seat warm for you at the end of the year. I think what's, what's all your stuff has, uh, has blown over. Anyway, I have been Bob Bamba. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba. Uh, you can find the podcast on, project on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS, Facebook.com forward slash Wrestling20YRS, uh, iTunes, RSS, uh, Wrestling20YRS.com for all your blogs and getting back into the blogs more recently. Uh, and also, yes, yeah, just remind you of the parts of the show that you've got coming up. Uh, volume 2 is WCW, look at the Clash of the Champions. Volume 3, uh, we start with me on the show with a bit of a knackered voice doing the IWA Japan King of the Deathmatch final. Terry Funk against Cactus Jack, genuinely a lot of explosions, a lot of C4 and all of that. Uh, the final three quarters of that show is Dell, Tom and Kieran reviewing ECW. And Volume 4 is a special look at the New Japan Collision in Korea show headlined uh, by Ric Flair and Antonio Inoki in North Korea. A very historically significant show. Uh, 
Uh, the second half of that show, I think, is among the best things we've done for this podcast. Admittedly, that they did rely quite heavily on a on a massively in-depth Sports Illustrated article that we just picked apart. Um, but you know, I, I think that that is well worth listening to. If you think ah, I can skip that, I, I if I were you, skip the show review, listen to the second half. If you if you would otherwise skip it. Um, but anyway, that's been that. I've been Bob Bamber. Uh, this has been Volume One of the August 1995 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time. Goodbye.